the curse of the devil. Exorcism, a sacrifice, blessing, or bestiality. The curse of the devil. Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it. Welcome to the Nashy Cast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are here for, uh, wait a minute, what is this? Oh, that's right. Episode uh, 50. 50. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Ah, yes, folks. We uh, we are doing episode 50 of the Nashy Cast. Yeah. For those of you out there who claimed we'd never make it past <laughs> 26 or whatever. The, anyway, we, we made it. Yes, we did. We did. What a milestone. What a strange feeling. Uh, now, first of all, I want to address one thing. This is a minor quirk, and, and mm-hmm. it's something that I must address because <clears throat> it irks me when people do this. This is not the 50th anniversary episode no, of the Nashi no, Cast. No, it is not. It's the 5th anniversary, anniversary. episode. Right. But it is the 50th episode. Anniversary means year. It means so when you say it is the 50th anniversary, that means you are saying it has mm-hmm. been around for 50 full years. <laughs> yes. No. Yes. No, 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 no. I am really tired of seeing that on comic yeah. book covers, yeah. magazine covers. I know. It's like 50th anniversary issue and all that stuff. It's like, it. No, it's not the 50th it's anniversary. A, it's the 50th issue. Yeah, yeah. It's it's okay to trumpet it and say special milestone. I mean, milestone is probably more of an acceptable word. I can, I, milestone's good. I like that. Yeah. yeah. But it, yes, yes. But it's we, not an uh, anniversary unless no. it's truly been 50 years. <laughs> yes, exactly. This is episode 50 yeah. of the Nashy Cast. Yeah. And uh, like I say... It's uh, not our, we have not been married for 50 years, although sometimes we probably feel like it. But. <laughs> sometimes we've been, we feel as if we've been shackled to one another for far too freaking long. But no, right. no, 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 no. Right. This is episode 50. Uh, we have, with this episode, we will have covered 50 Paul Nashy films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, sprinkled in amongst those uh, are many other Spanish mm-hmm. horror films. Uh, as well as, uh, well, if you count the Bloody Pit episodes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Christmas movies and, mm-hmm. uh, good Lord, you're the hunter from the future and God only knows we what had else. some of our point .5 episodes, you know, we've thrown in. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't forget the uh, the interviews with Tim Lucas and, yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, our Caroline ranking, Monroe. You know, right, we would, you know. Oh, yeah, the ranking looking, episodes. Yeah, we would do 12, 12 the 12 Nashy films we had previously covered. and Yes, yes. So, it's, uh, it's not that it took us five years to get 50 episodes done. Yeah. <laughs> It's more like ninety. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, they've been coming few and far further between as we've been running out of Nashi <laughs> films. As our, our number of Nashi films to cover, uh, and the ones that are look interesting enough, or you know, uh, or that have enough Nashi in Nashi them, in really, them to uh, cover, are getting yeah have been getting very very sparse. So uh, yeah, so we've been spacing the episodes out a little more, but we always knew that the road would lead to this episode. Yes, yes, indeed. This is the movie that when we started this podcast, Mm -hmm. oh, those five years ago, Mm -hmm. we uh, we knew that we wanted to save this one Mm -hmm. because this was, without a doubt, the last great Paul Nashie film. Mm -hmm. This is Rojo Sangre, Mm -hmm. uh, Blood Red. As bad as our Spanish is, we know what Rojo Sangre means. (laughs) It can only mean Blood Red. It can only mean Blood Red. Or... Red well, blood, or yeah, blood red. Red anyway, it's blood, but it's blood <laughs> red. Yeah. So what we have here is uh, 2004's Rojo Sangre, written by 
Jacinto Molina, that would be our man Paul Nashi, of course. Uh, directed by Christian Molina. Uh, no relation. Same, right. same, same last name, no but uh, different human beings. His first film. No. Yeah, yeah there, there, was a, there was a little thing in my head mm-hmm. when I first saw this movie, when I first saw the listings for it, it made me think, is that a pseudonym? Is Christian Molina a pseudonym? But then, no, 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 no. no. Christian yeah. Molina is an actual, an actual other person. Mm-hmm. And strangely enough, not even uh, not even a member of Mr. Molina's family. Although there is another member of Mr. Molina's family that does appear in this film. Yes, he does have a brief a brief appearance. Yeah. Sergio, yeah. our buddy Sergio, does make an appearance in this film. Mm-hmm. Well, as does uh, Christian, too. He, he has a very brief blinking oh, missing right. role as yes, well. A very brief non-speaking role. Uh, he couldn't resist putting himself in the movie as well. Which, hey, you know, mm-hmm. neither could I if I were given the opportunity. <laughs> so I understand. Yeah. So uh, tonight, uh, before we get to rolling too hard on this, because boy, do we love this movie. I want to do it. I do want to announce that we will not be spoiling this. Rojo Sangre is a movie that is barely 10 years old mm-hmm. and uh, is uh, quite good Fairly easy to come by. Uh, in America, it was put out on a Shriek Show DVD that is still readily available. Mm-hmm. Check Amazon or any other DVD purchasing locale, and you will be able to find it. And uh, I recommend picking it up. It is very, uh, very cheaply priced. It's not uh, not going right. to be. It's not going to. It's not going to make your wallet scream bloody murder. No. I will give this caveat. Uh, the same problem that I've had with the DVD since it came out uh, still remains, which is although there's a couple of neat little behind-the-scenes extras on it, mm-hmm. and the movie looks just fine, the disc is not anamorphic, meaning that uh, mm-hmm. it is unfortunately not... It's a disc not built for uh, widescreen televisions. Mm-hmm. The movie is letterboxed with subtitles, uh, but it... Uh, <laughs> Sadly, uh, you, mm-hmm. you you don't you don't have the, the benefit of it being something that will grace your widescreen television right. wonderfully. Sure. And uh, even when this film came out on DVD, uh, I guess it came out in two thousand five over here. I think it was two thousand five when it came out over here, right? Anyway, that sounds about right. Even that, what even at that time, it was uh, notable that a Shriek Show had not gone. Um, I don't even know if I'd call it the extra mile, but they had not. Done yeah, because it seems bare, like just standard practice these days. Yeah, of, you know. Even then, it seems standard practice to yeah, you know yeah. put the film on there in uh, in right. sixteen by nine format so that widescreen television would make it look all the prettier. But that is my only complaint with the disc. Uh, I, it is a it is a, a a little larger than a minor caveat, but. Don't let that dissuade you. When you right. can pick the film up for about five bucks and yeah, it's this like and it's, it's this yeah. damn good. <laughs> yeah, 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 go ahead. Yeah, and, get and, it. And, and as little Nashy is available now on, on DVD here, you know, then then <laughs> yeah, you know, we can't complain too much. But um, yes, uh, well, before we take a first break and jump into it, I will also say that um, I know that uh, we've did we actually strangely enough did two straight podcast about children's films we did godzilla's <laughs> revenge and then we did uh, my friend the vagabond so True. if you've gotten used to this being a family friendly podcast if your <laughs> little son and daughters have been gathering around the family radio to hear uncle rod and uncle troy talk about the latest as she cast that's going to end tonight because this film is a nasty piece of work and uh we are yes. no longer family friendly on this show this uh no longer family. Friendly. I don't think we ever were. But <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a film that earns its R rating in many Boy, many ways. Yeah. Um, grotesque violence mm. of uh, some very intriguing types. Yeah, uh, a little bit of uh, sadistic torture. A little, uh, who. A little, a little uh, inappropriate sex, in my yeah. opinion. But yeah. hey, yeah. what can you say? This is. Uh, this is a movie that 
you're not once you've seen it, you're not going to forget it. I so, was yeah, I, I was yeah. impressed by how much of this movie had stuck in my mind because mm-hmm. I had not watched it in. Uh, Oh yeah. man, eight years. Oh probably? yeah, I hadn't watched it since yeah since before we started the show because I knew because again we knew what we were saving it for so I purposely didn't watch it again. But uh, well, tell me, you said uh, before we, before we got this thing cranked up, you were you, I wanted to talk just a little bit about what I've been reading lately. I told you that I'd been reading um, uh, some Michael Moorcock. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm a big fan. I recently got reminded uh, as as I said on the blog, mm. I had been I was dusting some bookshelves and mm. and ran across uh, some uh, some of my hardback books of mm-hmm. Michael Moorcock's fantasy work. Right. So uh, some of the Eternal Champion stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh before I before I cracked the uh, <laughs> before I cracked one of the mm-hmm. books open and realized mm-hmm. that uh, they'd been sitting on my shelf patiently awaiting for me to 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 read them for <clears throat> 20 years. <laughs> Yes, yes, people. I do buy books knowing that I'm oh. not going to read them immediately, and then they sit there and oh. and, and become something oh, that I too. that I push dust off of until oh, yeah. finally the urge to read them arrives. But uh, I was looking over them and remembering how much I loved uh, the uh, the Elric novels. Oh yeah, the, that uh, Moorcock wrote, you know, back in the '60s. Absolutely loved them, and I uh, read them when I was a teenager. And I was kind of getting the urge to reread them, looking over these books. When I realized, actually, you know, I've not read. A lot of these other books in here, I've not read uh, the Hawkmoon stuff or the Corum mm-hmm. stuff or any of that. So uh, I've just I've decided, okay, I'm going to read the Moorcock stuff that I haven't read for a while. So I picked up and started reading the Hawkmoon stuff, the uh, the first novel, Count Brass. I'm about halfway through, really enjoying it. And I've, I'd forgotten the thing about Michael Moorcock is that uh, it takes a little while to get into the groove of his style. Yeah. But man, once you're in it, you're yeah. really in it. And uh, what was weird is that right before that, I'd read uh, I'd read, I'd read uh, two pulp novels back to back. I read a shadow novel um, called I think City City of Doom, and then uh, I read a spider novel. Uh-huh. Uh, and so my brain was in that mode mm-hmm. pulp of mode, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of pulp action mode, especially mm-hmm. since I just you know, the book previous to this was the spider novel, which is you know oh my God. all action all the time, move move move, kill kill kill, blow blow blow, kill kill destroy destroy. <laughs> well, I've always said, you know, the Spider series, for anybody who's not familiar with it, is the one where basically, like, the you know, the world gets destroyed uh, or nearly destroyed every single story, and then by the time the next story comes along, everything's all rebuilt back to be destroyed again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, just, <laughs> yeah, somehow, regardless of the, the odd continuity that yeah. does go throughout those novels, the, the further along they go, there's a complete lack of continuity when, you know... I I I know the Empire State Building was destroyed in one of the novels. Yeah, maybe at least one. <laughs> maybe in, in City Destroyer, it was yeah. it was destroyed. The Empire yeah. State Building was destroyed. Yeah, and and so you get to the point where you're just like, okay, so it's a partial reset. Yeah, <laughs> we put it's 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 like it's like when you're a kid and you put yeah. the, you put the, you put the playset back the way it's supposed to exactly. be. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to tell a new story, even though you still yeah. remember. The other yeah. story where all the Lego pieces got fed through the Play-Doh pushing machine, yeah. so you know it got squeezed out with odd shapes yeah. that the dog ate. But anyway, uh, so uh, yeah, I'm really kind of enjoying. Um, I've, I've probably mentioned this before on the podcast, but in the in the winter months, I do tend to want to read pulp stuff, which is mm. when I read the the Shadow and the Spider novel. Yeah. But now, I, in, a, in a weird way, this this Moorcock novel, uh, mm-hmm. Count Brass, is really, really hitting that uh, cool. hitting that button pretty effectively too. So. Yeah, I, uh, it's always been my intention to branch out into more of, of Michael Moorcock stuff uh, um, than just the Elric series, which I read and loved, and have actually been you know thinking the last couple of years that I was going to do for a 
reread of them, but at the same time, I, I've really beyond that, uh, uh, you know, it's pretty much, you know, of course, the other, um, you know, the stuff he did, the collaborations he did with Hawkwind, you know, the, the records, you yeah. know, the stuff is I've always enjoyed. I'm a big Hawkwind fan. I've always enjoyed the stuff he did with, with them, but I, uh, I've, I've really, other than the, the Elric stuff, I've, I've not really gotten into all the other Eternal Champion stuff, and, and uh, but really wanted to and hope to someday. You know, it's, it's definitely... You want to know the truth? I, I hate to have to admit this, but I've, I, can't, I can't say that I've ever consciously listened to the Hawkwind stuff. I no. really don't mm. know that I have. I may have and not yeah. known what I was listening yeah. to. Well, there's a lot of it, needless to say, because they've been around since the 60s yeah. and are still around, so there's mountains of stuff, and like any other band that's around that long, it's going to have its, you know... Highs and lows, but uh, uh, I especially recommend the um, the years with you know the time the early years with Lemmy you know when Lemmy uh-huh. was their their bass player and uh, um, uh, Space Ritual Live is still just one of the most amazing you know live albums that has to be just to, to experience uh, um, and I really like a lot of their stuff and again Moorcock you know did a lot of really interesting spoken word stuff you know over their music and writing collaborations with them so I'm definitely a big Hawkwind fan I mean like I said some of their stuff I can take better than, than, than others of it but it's but it's always fun stuff. I mean, it's always of a science fiction fantasy kind of, you know, it, it touches that vein, you know, there yeah. it kind of mixes that with the music. But uh, they managed to be a little less pretentious than some bands can get with that. I mean, I'm sure there's a certain pretentious level to when you're trying to do that at all. But they managed to keep it fun in most cases, you know, to keep it still very, mu- you know, still not let the, the ideas and the words overpower the music. You know, the music is always still kind of at the forefront in most of their, their recordings. So, so I do recommend Hawkwind for sure. Well, that's cool because <clears throat> other than uh, the Hawkwind stuff, which I, I'll, I'll admit, eventually I'm going to have to check it out just because I know I know I should have checked it out, you know, 20 freaking years ago. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there's there's Moorcock's uh, kind of uh, collaborations with the Blue Oyster Cult. That's true. With Blue yeah. Oyster Cult. Yeah. They did uh, Veterans of the Psychic Wars yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they were well in the song Black Blade, which Black is Blade, directly about... About Elric, yeah. yeah. That's, a grand, that's a great song. I, I love, love that. that. Yeah, song. you're right. Black Blade that's is off the song. That's off the wonderfully named Cultosaurus Erectus now. <laughs> <you know, which, laughs> yes. yeah. well, well, growing up, you know, I think uh, growing up, at least people of my age and probably around... You're, you're, I mean, we're roughly the same age. Uh, that uh, Fire of Unknown Origin album oh, God, is, the, yeah. is the Blue Oyster Cult album that just kind of blew the top of my head clean yeah, off. Yeah, and so uh, good. they came right after that. They came out with a live album, uh, Extraterrestrial Extra Live, and that's mm-hmm. where I heard a lot of their earlier stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody knew the hits, Don't Fear the Reaper and Godzilla. Those mm-hmm. are the songs that everybody knew. Yeah. But uh, it was the live album that came out right after that that really kind of opened my eyes to the, the stuff they'd done before that. And so I, I was a fan. I was a fan from there on. Yeah. And what, what's wild is, uh, at the time, I knew a little bit about the band, but it, I mean, it was a long while before I knew. Oh, Black Blade was obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Because I backtracked and got my hands on Cultosaurus Erectus, and knew we yeah, Black Blade. That mm. you can't miss that being an Elric, a song about Elric if you've read those novels at yeah. all. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, but it wasn't until later that I found out about. The, the the Moorcock connection with veterans of the psychic wars mm-hmm. and things like that mm-hmm. and uh, that album uh, Fire Phone on Origin is just one of those things that it, it all of that album is stuck in my head yeah there are certain <laughs> mm-hmm. there are certain albums and I guess this is true of everybody who's a music fan there are certain albums from my childhood that are etched indelibly in my brain oh, yeah. Uh, and like, and there, and I know this is bizarre, but they're just odd choices. There's uh, mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin's last album, uh, "In Through the Outdoor." Yeah, I know every freaking uh-huh. note uh-huh. of that album. I can, I mean, I can anticipate yeah. every single thing that happens on it. Uh, Aerosmith's <laughs> "Toys in the Attic." Oh, yeah. I know 
every second of that album from edge to edge. I know it all. I know it backwards and forwards in every way that you can possibly know it. And it's just it, it, there's there's it's it's so weird. The 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 albums that are still there stuck in your head. Robert Plant's first two solo albums. Speaking of you know, speaking of Zeppelin, yeah. Pictures at Eleven and Principle of Moments are albums that I can I'll never yeah. ever get those songs out of my head. Well, it's from that it's from that you know they they come from that time in our lives when we when when we could listen to an album, had the time to listen to a single album that much for yeah. them to become ingrained like that. You know, it's it's like we reach we're we're always discovering you and I you know new music, but there'll never be another album that we'll have that kind of time to to listen to over and over and over obsessively you know is that yeah yeah and it's like the you know some there there are some albums that in the past i, I look back on the the albums i've been listening to in the past year and mm-hmm. of course it's all you know it's all ipod now mm-hmm. and i'm listening to um um the most recent hold steady album and i re- I, I listened to it a lot i was looking mm-hmm. at the, the the count the count on the number of times i listened to that album and there are some songs that i've listened to like 15 times yeah and um i i'm I'm looking at it and it's like I'm, I'm going through the albums that I've really enjoyed this past year and it's like uh, Chrissy Hines' solo album is quite good. I've been enjoying that. Uh, the uh, the band, uh, new band XX, which has some members of, uh, I think it has a member of Sleater Kenny. Okay. Um, girl girl rock band, just excellent, excellent stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, very guitar-oriented oriented pop stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or it's actually, I, I have to call it rock. Yeah, <laughs> I think calling it pop would be silly. <laughs> but the, uh, and then uh, I, I picked up a couple of things right at the end of the year when these a uh, couple of things started ending up on a lot of best of uh, best of the year lists, mm-hmm. and uh, one of them that I'm really really enjoying and I wasn't sure I would is this new band called the the War on Drugs. <laughs> I've just been checking. Have you been listening? Yes, to it? I, I, and probably and for the same reason as you. Sometimes I'm just I'm so freaking out of touch with what's new musically. Yeah. You keep up much better with it than I do, and I know there's good stuff out there. Unfortunately, most of what I get exposed to is the bad stuff that's going around, you know, and I know there's good stuff. So um, there, there I, I was able to cobble a few from some good music sites, you know, of, of just kind of the stuff that they were considering the best of last year and just saying, like, I'm going to make myself try and pick up at least some of this stuff and give it a shot. And the War on Drugs is one of the ones that I just I just yeah. picked up because it seemed like it was, you know, really making a lot of the best of lists, you know. So, uh, yeah. I've really enjoyed it, though. Mm-hmm. Same the, here. What's funny is that it starts off with that song, Under the Pressure, and... For about the first minute or two of the song, I'm thinking, I'm not sure if this is going to be for me. Oh, it's, oh. Uh, it's it's all right. And by the end of that song, it had me. I mean, that mm-hmm. song had me. And I thought, yeah. man, if they can do this, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, how many more tracks on this thing? Yeah. If they can do this with each track <laughs> where I'm kind of resistant at the beginning and mm-hmm. in love with it by the end, this is going to be amazing. And that's how it worked yeah. out with yeah. every tune on the album. So Strong, I, yeah, I, was, I was really impressed. So. Yeah. So between that and the uh, most recent Spoon album, I've just been wearing those. Yeah, I've been wearing yeah, that. I haven't thing. heard that one yet. Oh damn! I mean, they—that's a band that's been going for two decades, and just—I mean, <laughs> there isn't a bad track on the album, and it's one of those that it, it had been four years since they put out an album, and you're just right. like, well, I mean, we may not get another Spoon album because uh, the lead singer went off and did a, a little side project with uh, the uh, the singer from uh, Wolf Parade. Mm-hmm. Called uh, the divine uh, called Divine Fits. And it was a really good album too. It sounded a little spoonish, mm-hmm. uh, but then they came back and they made this new album, and it's like, wow, okay, boy, I'm glad they did. And it's cool. another it's another one of those albums that was that's ending up on best of the year list. Yeah. But I already I had it like the week it came out because it's like, well, oh, I didn't know we were gonna get a new spoon album. Hot damn, yeah, so cool. But uh, yeah, yeah, just <clears throat> it's 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 uh, I do tend to uh, 
try to keep my ears open for the more interesting stuff. And the thing is, I still know I'm missing stuff that I would like oh, because I there's well, just so here. much out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, um, I, 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 you know, those end of the year lists are a good are a good place to find things because if you can, if you yeah. if you see something pop up on more than several one list, times, then you can, yeah, 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 it's, 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 not, it's, it's something you probably ought to check that's out. Probably at least to check it out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder how many people. Uh, what are many people listening to this? Listen to uh, try to check out new music on streaming services like Spotify and things like that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because I don't, I don't do the streaming thing at all. Uh-huh. Yeah, me um, either. Really, and, and I could. I've got the the Amazon Prime thing going. Yeah, I've got that. I've got Pandora, Spotify, and all of it. I just yeah, yeah. rarely listen to them. I, I, I don't do it. I'm not. Uh, my job doesn't keep me in front of a computer where I can really do that. All the music mm-hmm. that I'm going to be able to listen to is something I'm going to have to plug into an iPod. So mm-hmm. eh, that's, eh, that's the way it goes. Yep, yep. So, but at any rate, that's what I've been listening to. Cool. And uh, who knows? Some of that may end up embedded in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why not? Share a little. Share a little with everybody. Ha, huh, but, ooh, can't wait to talk about the music in Rojo Sangre, too. Yeah. But I tell you what, folks, we will take a quick break. We will stop meandering. We will get to the meat of this matter yep. and talk about the film at hand. Back in a moment. From the dark and mysterious Middle Ages, full of mystery and violence, there now comes to the screen, fear rises from the tomb, a curse which would bring these people to the most terrifying situations. from the tomb with Emma Cohen, Paul Nashi, Vic Winner, Christina Suriani, Betsabey Ruiz, and Helga Liné in the role of Marville. Fear rises from the tomb with all the mystery and terror of medieval rites and witchcraft. (laughs) The infernal powers of evil persecuting these defenseless beings. Only the talisman could free them from the spellbinding influence. Fear rises from the tomb. A terrifying experience. It will take you a long time to forget. No! 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 Rises from the Tomb, a pro-films production, directed by Carlos Aurez. Seven moons have passed. Today we shall take them. I want, when the supreme day comes, that they are sufficiently prepared for the sacrifice. (laughs) 
There are a lot of podcasts out there that do science fiction, horror and fantasy movies, but how many of them are done by somebody who's been watching this shit for half a century? Hi, my name's Terry Frost and I do the Martian Drive-In Podcast, a podcast where I look at silent films all the way through to movies from the second decade of the 21st century. I look at fantasy, horror and science fiction and talk about them, sometimes with the guests, sometimes by myself, but always with an eye to the stuff that maybe has slipped off your radar if it was ever on your radar. So go to marsdrivein.blogspot.com or type Martian Drive-In Podcast into iTunes and enjoy a bit of decent genre talk. And keep watching the skies. Sangre, 2004. Um, I'm going to read just a little bit of what Mirik Lipinski wrote on uh, the uh, the official mm-hmm. Nashi okay. page. This is the Mark of Nashi. Uh, Mirik wrote, Rojo Sangre is one of the most important works in Nashi's filmography, but it is also an important film, period. Nashi's script is from the soul and suffering of the man, from his heart and his creative mind. A statement of purpose and pain from a legend of cinema. A cry of rage amid resilience, a warning amid complacency. No other artist in the history of the horror genre has dared not only such an attack at the business, but a brutal examination of career choices made in a desire to keep working and to fight against oblivion. That is pretty much exactly how I feel. Yeah, as I say, I couldn't say it better myself. (laughs) What I what I wrote down. At the top of my notes was uh, last great last great hurrah. This yeah. is the final. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, uh, Ahab stabbing yeah. at the heart of the white whale right. one last time. Right, and it's a beautiful thing to see. This is uh, a movie that has all the it has all of the touchstones and all the hallmarks of a classic Nashi script mm-hmm. shot through. With the the bitterness and the anger that he feels at what happened to his life and career uh, around the the, the mid eighties, but it it's not weighed down by that anger and bitterness because it goes through it's it's because he found I think a great director to channel it because you've got a first time director who is full of the spark of having his first project and so the film is infused with. It's also this great energy and this great kind of life, this kind of creative, oh, I agree, yeah. you know, energy there of, of kind of, of a director basically, obviously trying to make his first mark a, sta- a loud one, a, sta- a loud uh-huh. thing, you know. He does a fantastic job. I'm gonna, all praise to uh, to to Mr. Molina, the director, because mm-hmm. quite honestly, there are a couple of moments where I think the style gets a little out of control, mm-hmm. but ninety five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. The style being used to make this movie mm-hmm. 
perfectly matches the story being told. He is purposefully doing interesting things with the camera, with his editing, with his transitions that make the story not only move forward, Mm. but to punctuate things and to underline appropriate emotional points in the story Mm. that are just wonderful. It's a movie that is... It's a modern film. It's a movie that has the stamp of being a modern 21st century piece of horror fiction. Right. But is so clearly and obviously rooted Mm -hmm. in the classic movies made in Spain in the 70s and 80s. Right. Uh, One could try to uh, downplay this film to one degree and say, well, in a way, it's, it's a slasher film. If you want to try to claim that that makes it a lesser movie in that the main character is a murderer, a man who goes on a murder spree, and I hope I'm not spoiling things, (laughs) by saying that, I hope I'm not spoiling things. Yeah, I think we'll figure that out pretty quick. Pretty quick. But to paint it in that, Mm that, um, that small a palette, to paint it in in colors that, that dim, that, that dull, is, is to, realize you've just not seen this film. Yeah. This well, is a, it's just one of the many layers or the yeah. levels that it's working at. It works as a slasher film, but it works on other levels too. So It works as a revenge piece. Mm-hmm. It works as... Well, let's just put it this way. There are so many wonderful nods mm-hmm. to Nashi's past career yeah. to his actual life. He yeah. uses yeah. some details, some fairly painful details from his own life. Mm-hmm. There is a point at which um, they're relating, they're combining the fictional background of the character he plays mm. uh, and adding in the details of what did happen in his career and the, the confluence of events that sent him into a spiral of depression, including his own father's death, mm-hmm. that sets you in the position of realizing, okay, this is fiction, but it very carefully and closely is mirroring yeah. his real life and he's using he's feeding off that mm-hmm. he's using those things and he's channeling it into this story and it makes it the strong you don't necessarily have to know that those details really come from his life mm-hmm. to enjoy what is being done with it in this film mm-hmm. uh, this is uh, I, I could I could go on forever but I think I think we want to try mm-hmm. to, to go through uh, through this film and uh, and pick out some of the wonderful details up to a certain point like I say we're not going to spoil mm-hmm. the movie mm-hmm but uh, the, I do want to go through a lot of the stuff. I'd like to go uh, do a little bit of our old style scene by scene stuff for a, for a mm. big portion right. of the movie to kind of pick sure. apart and detail yeah. some of the stuff that I, I really really like about this sucker. Yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, let's start with the opening credits. Where else to start? Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful because mm. you have the opening credits going through right. the, uh, the the main actors of the piece, mm. and each one is illustrated with a still of Nashi. As a character from one of his films, from one of his actual national, yeah, one yeah, of Nash's yeah, yeah. actual films, yeah, that's a great opening. Yeah, I love that. That's and it, it, it's really neat. It, it's 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 setting you up. It's showing you that uh, even before the movie starts, we're, mm-hmm. we're we're telling you that this is going to be one of those movies where we have an actor playing an actor, mm-hmm. and we're going to use his actual background, mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. actual resume, the films that he's made, mm-hmm. as a part of the fiction we're creating here. Mm-hmm. The name of the character that he's playing is pa- <laughs> Pablo, Pablo Feveno. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
unless I'm mispronouncing that last name, which is altogether important. It's either Thibonet, Thibonet, something like that. Thibonet, Thibonet, something like that. Anyway, he is at, he is waiting along with several other actors at a casting session. Uh, we get the strangest, audition, opening, strangest opening conversation of any film. I know, I, think I've ever I know, seen. I know. <laughs> it's almost as if this conversation with this other actor who's waiting for mm-hmm. to be called in for an audition. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if this conversation were constructed to immediately either put the audience on their guard, yeah. give them a, a hearty laugh if they can yeah. be in on the black humor of what yeah. he's saying, or push someone out mm. the door. Yeah. Get them out of the theater, get them yeah. away from this thing, because if you, this is going to offend you or this is going to mm. make you mm. make you wonder what the hell is going on, then you don't need to see the rest of this movie. One thing, this, kinda, this, op- this conversation right off the bat had me asking the question, how much... Is Nashi playing Nashi in this film? Because this, the act, even though obviously he's basing this this character's background on his own background, you know yeah. the fact that he references actual works that he did. This that several this times. Yeah, I don't get the impression this character is is very is is maybe a little more openly angry and confrontational than maybe Nashi yeah. was. I could be wrong about that, but just the impression I get. Is I think that this oh, I think, I think, I think character right. is is, is I mean is I don't know you know this I, is a heightened version of yeah. of him. Nash was certainly yeah he's version. certainly channeling Nashley's anger, but I think the character here is maybe supposed to be a little more abrasive and cantankerous yeah. than maybe Nashi probably was in his in his real life is just my guess here. But I think from the very first, it's like I think and maybe that's part of the purpose of this conversation too is just to. Make make this character being kind of openly, I mean, just kind of right off, telling us right off the bat that this this, is this a, isn't Paul Nashi playing Paul Nashi. This is still Paul Nashi playing a a character, a character who looks and acts a little yeah. bit like Paul Nashi, but really isn't him. Yeah. And of course, what we're talking about here is the conversation between Nashi's character Pablo and this other actor, where uh, <clears throat> Pablo <laughs> tells it tells the other actor yeah. how he staves off. Uh, I guess is, a, yeah. is is one way, which is he has this particular vice, which is he shoves mice up his asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other actor seems a bit perplexed and not yeah. really sure that he should believe what he's saying. Yeah. So he goes yeah. into detail about putting the mice yeah. in a condom yeah. and shoving it up his ass. And yes, and it's, it's of the horrible. Mice. It's, yeah. it's it, it squirms as it suffocates and dies. But the the, the feeling is just incredibly pleasurable. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an incredibly funny it's an incredibly funny way to start off a film that's not a comedy it doesn't really and even though it has dark humor in it it's yeah. a really there's not it's you know it's probably the most openly comic maybe part of the whole film and it's weird to start it that way you know yeah, it's interesting yeah. to, to begin it that way there are other comic yeah, touches throughout are. the movie but the, 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 the touches are never less than dark right, as yeah, it goes yeah, through yeah because uh, you certainly right off the bat you don't know what to make it just like this guy doesn't know what to make I don't know what the hell to say really are you talking are you serious uh, well Nashi's character is called into the audition at that point and uh, he, I love it this beautiful assistant who's who's uh, who's the one who's uh, who's calling him in walking him down the hallway mm-hmm. and uh, Nashi's speaking to her briefly and uh, says just just briefly mentions yeah. to her that you know he's he's been in 300 mm-hmm. plays and, mm-hmm. and this is where we get into the enhanced part of yeah. of this not really being Nashy because mm-hmm. Paul Nashy was never a, right. a, a stage yeah. actor right so uh, he's he's uh, talking about her and she doesn't know who the hell he is at all yeah. but he sits down and he does the he does the audition and the uh, the the young director who's doing the casting is 
you could be nice and call him a jerk, or you could be honest and say that he's just being a prick. Yeah, yeah, it's a very humiliating, ex- uh, condescending uh, experience for for Pablo here. Oh, I know the the line when he says he's, he says you're not Marlon Brando. Yeah, don't try don't try yeah. to imitate someone above your abilities. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's just yeah. that kind of thing where you just want to uh, yeah. you want to walk across the table and slap the shit out of his face. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but you know. <clears throat> He uh, he puts up with it for a little while, and then tells the director off and yeah. says goodbye. Mm-hmm. The uh, the assistant walks him out, and uh, there's this really nice conversation that yeah. that Pablo has with this beautiful assistant. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's it's funny, it's dark, yeah. but it's also true. Which yeah. is don't you know you you she says you have everything you need mm-hmm. to make it to make it in this industry if that's what you want to do if you want to be an actress you can yeah. be. And he says, remember, with good silicone, there's no need for talent. <laughs> I know. It is. And what's great is that she takes it in exactly oh, the way oh, he right, needs it. Right. She's, she's laughing. Offended. She, she's yeah, not offended yeah, at all. She she knows yeah. what he's saying. Yeah. He's basically like, you've got the body to make it. So, yeah. The uh, the next scene is where we are introduced to uh, Pablo's agent, uh, Martin. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pablo is uh, justifying himself for why he really, you know, did not uh, <clears throat> paint himself in glory in that particular audition. Mm-hmm. And Martin explains that, uh, you know, look, you're no longer producing or directing anymore. Mm-hmm. Having, a, a once again, another mirror to Nash's mm-hmm. actual life. Right. Uh, he, he says, uh, you know what sells? Love affairs, divorces, uh, beatings, mm-hmm. uh, sex, appearing mm-hmm. nude magazines. In short, uh, you know, crap. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, any ho- a hoax. He uses yeah. the word hoax. He says, he says, hoax after hoax. He says, uh, you know, you... Nobody wants to work with you, and when you get to auditions, you do this. And there was a part of me, just a little brief part of me, that flashed on the movie Tootsie. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we've already seen Nashy dressed as a woman. I don't know if we wanted to see. It. No, so I don't really want to do that. But, but I really did have a, yeah. that, a flash of you know <laughs> of, of the conversation between Sidney yeah, Lumet uh-huh. and Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> going, yeah, yeah. It's kind of similar. I know where we're going here. So uh, <clears throat> Martin even Martin even tells him essentially maybe you might want to look for a, another mm-hmm. agent, right? But he does have one thing that he that he points him toward, and he gives 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 Pablo this card to uh, go to this club called Cl- Club Pandora and uh, talk with a woman named Dora Grizel mm-hmm. about some kind of uh, entertainer doorman job. Mm-hmm. And of course, Pablo is not exactly thrilled with the idea of what this sounds like and yeah, he's not really right. sure he wants to take him up on it but he does take the card mm-hmm. this is a the, the, the next scene is pretty neat because it's Pablo out on the street walking down the street and uh, he stops in front of a restaurant and is reading the uh, the billboard out front with the menu on it and he realizes that he doesn't have enough cash on him for the lunch special that, that's being advertised there and it's a it's a really neat little scene. There's no dialogue, but you, it's it's a really neat bit of acting mm-hmm. from Nashi that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And it goes straight into our first scene at the club, mm-hmm. and we're introduced to the to the club. There's this bizarre kind of uh, uh, live live orgy kind of thing going live, on. Sort of, yeah, yeah, I don't know if it's a real orgy. It's it just a simulated live simulated orgy kind of weird yeah. dance thing uh-huh. that's kind mm-hmm. of orgy like. It's like mm-hmm. Bob Fosse decided to yeah. make something that was you know single X instead of triple X. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. And, and so what we've got is uh, he he's gone there. He's he's dressed well. He's at the club and uh, it's a very upscale place and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mostly done in uh, in very ornate 
or, mm-hmm. or an ornate design with uh, red hangings, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. it's 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 a very it's a very beautiful place. Um, and he's there, he's there, and he meets this uh, this lady Dora Grizel, who uh, is kind of a scary looking woman, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting actress, and yes, she does definitely. a fine job. But mm-hmm. there's there's that she is one of those women who has that bizarre facial. She's she she appears to be a woman in middle age mm-hmm. who's aging very well. But her features are such that she almost looks like she's she could be a man. Yep, there's yep. a there's a, a strange there the outro, yeah. kind of androgyny to yeah, her that that, that uh, I'm not sure they were going for. But then I think maybe they were. Yeah, I think probably. I think it, I think that that's probably fits with what we fits with the character as we begin to know the character more and more. Is that kind of uh, that, that strange? Not sure about this character. The voice too is kind of is is, is, yeah. is also yeah. kind of man, very husky, yeah, but, yeah. very much uh, mm-hmm. around the uh, the Kathleen Turner <laughs> yeah. vocal range. Far too many cigarettes have been smoked by this woman. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they sit down and they're they're talking, and uh, it's it's clear that uh, he's trying to present himself as someone who doesn't necessarily need this job, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kind of wants to. It's kind of curious about it to, to to stretch himself to do something interesting. And at first, she's playing she's playing up like she believes what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And then after after talking for a few minutes, she finally just looks at him and she says, "You hate everyone, don't you?" <laughs> and he hasn't said anything hateful no, or mean spirited no, or anything no. any, right, anything right. like that. And uh, she says that, and then immediately there's this pause, and he gets this look on his face like, "How do I respond to this?" She says, "Because they've forsaken you." Mm-hmm. And he immediately knows what she's talking about because she knows who he is. Yeah, and uh, he he has this great he has this great line. It's beautiful. He says, "I thought my fame would last much longer, and my friends from the good days would help out in the bad." Yeah, yeah. It's it's worse than ingratitude. It's oblivion. Yeah, and um, again and again you see. Well, th- this is your this is your first stop on that uh, on that train that takes you down the down the track to where mm-hmm. you're understanding why he snaps and does what he does, mm-hmm. which is that he feels. And right now we don't have any of the details about what happened to him. We right. get those gradually as the film progresses. Mm-hmm. But what we have here is him expressing straight out, you know, that he feels abandoned by people that he did a good turn to or that mm-hmm. he did things for or that were just compatriots at the time which of, of his greatest successes. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, I just, I, I absolutely love the line. It's, it's worse than ingratitude. It's oblivion. Yeah, it's it's worse line. than people not being thankful. It's that mm-hmm. I'm almost erased from existence. It's almost as if I, it didn't matter that I was here. That's that sequence ends, ends, Ends with the, well, it ends with them mm-hmm. setting up a meeting with the owner of the club, yeah. uh, Mr. Uh, Reficule. Mr. Reficule. Now, uh, that that meeting uh, happen, happens in the next sequence, and he asks if uh, they're they're talking back and forth, mm-hmm. and uh, Reficule asks if Nash had ever won a uh, Murillo, which is essentially the uh, Oscar Spanish, Spanish Oscar, Oscar is the only Oscar. person I get, yeah, and. Uh, Pablo says, uh, no, 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 I never did. I was never nominated. Mm-hmm. Which is just another one of those little notches when you realize yeah. a man who has who has had the career that he's spoken about, yeah. this long this long lived career that's in that's in uh great decline at this point, 
to have never even been nominated. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they want they they explain what the job is that they want him to do, which is to essentially play a doorman in character, and uh, they think he will love this because it will allow him to be a different character every yeah, time to act again. You know, yeah. as, as well as his uh, character be a doorman. They want him to do people like Rasputin and that sort of thing. Rasputin, Jack the Ripper, yeah. Ivan the Terrible. Of course, they mentioned Gilderay, Gilderay. You know, which of course we know that's a touchstone with Nashy there. Of you course, know, the old Gilderay character, uh, and uh, he's. You see him kind of be a little bit interested because, well, that's you know, it would be mm-hmm. it would, that would be interesting. And then as soon as they mention what they'll be paying him, yeah, he's completely interested. Yeah, ten thousand euros, which uh, ten thousand euros a session. Yeah, which mm-hmm. uh, is quite a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> he accepts, uh, and uh, as a gift, Mister Refucule mm-hmm. gives him a gift, which is this uh, wolf-headed sword cane, mm-hmm. which is quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, when uh, Nashi is very complimentary of this gift, uh, Refugil uh, says, "Well, I'll give you the address of the uh, the craftsman who uh, who made this for me. Uh, he, you know, if you ever feel the, the, yeah. the need to, <laughs> should you ever want you, blades? Should, yeah, should you ever want a blade of any for type? Reason. Yeah, this this would this would be uh, this would be someone you could go and see." Let's go ahead and talk about that. Uh, the guy playing Mr. Refugio is incredible. I just I love this guy. I love him. <laughs> He's fantastic. <clears throat> I looked up his career. He has not done very much at all. Yeah, which I know. Is I saw shock. that. I just like, I know. Somebody thought this guy is fantastic. <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah. His his performance in this yeah. movie is note perfect because yeah. you know from the minute yeah, you yeah. see his ass yeah. on the screen. <laughs> That this you know do not buy a used car from this man. Yeah, yeah, he's just, yeah you know. no kidding. He's smooth. He's he's sophisticated. Yeah. He's he's clearly someone who could be playing arist. Yeah. could be could be playing any a member of the aristocracy yeah. in any oh, yeah. part of the of history for the past six hundred years. Yeah, and you and you look at him and he's he's perfect. His yeah. performance is on point. He delivers yeah. the lines beautifully. There, there are moments when a flick of his eyelid gives yeah. you gives you mm-hmm. tons of information. Yeah, I know, I know. It's it's, it's like, a beautiful performance. It is. But I feel guilty because I can't think of his name right now. This is terrible. That's right. Okay, his name is uh, Miguel de Arco, mm-hmm. and uh, he's a, a writer and director known for uh, man known for several films after this. Quite honestly. And so primarily, he's he's not done much acting in the past several years, but he's done uh, a number of he's done a lot of writing mm. for uh, short films and TV movies and tele- episodic television in Spain. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, also apparently uh, directed some of the television stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I say, his his acting and, credits yeah. after Rojo Sangre, he's only got a couple of acting credits <laughs> after that, yeah. and they're in short films and in a TV series <laughs> and. That's just a damn shame. I know. <laughs> he's really effective in this yeah, movie. Yeah, he really Miguel is. de Arco. And uh really, really like his performance in this and as yeah. and uh, like I say, it's one of the one of the, the oddities, and we should probably bring yeah. this up at this point, about about watching this film with subtitles, which is of course the way to watch it mm-hmm. if you can't speak Spanish, which sadly of course we can't, is that the minute you hear his name, you think, Oh, that's an odd name. But for us, <laughs> since it's subtitled yeah. and you see the name, yeah. it's not a real big surprise that no. 
refuel, even you if you've not thought about it, you might as well realize right off the bat, as yeah. soon as you see it on screen, oh yeah, that's Lucifer spelled backwards. Yeah. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah At yeah, least yeah. he should have been just called Mr. Alucard, you know? Or... It could have been more obvious. If it or Monsieur Evil. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything at all. I mean, it's... Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. So we kind of see that part coming for, you know, but but some, but in some ways you could just look at this guy and see that coming. Oh, I, mean, I know. The way he plays the part, you just The way he like, plays the part, it's just like, okay, hold on. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah. So he uh, gives him. He tells him where to get the blades. Gives him the sword cane. Makes him the offer of ten thousand euros. Uh, and an odd little bit that we don't understand at first. We mm. see uh, Refuel call someone. He's calling TikTok. Yeah. And telling him that Project Thevano is underway and yeah. that she should come mm. to join them. We see. Uh, we see Pablo at home, and we see him. He's at night. He's in his bed, and we see that he's having uh, having a lot of trouble with nightmares. Uh, and uh, he, he's awakened mm-hmm. in the middle of the night in his home with uh, with a horrible nightmare. And uh, the only the only hint we get at this point is he picks up the uh, framed photograph that's beside his bed of this young girl, mm-hmm. who we don't have any information about yet. Right. But it's it's clear that she's on his mind and probably had something to do with the nightmares that he was having. Uh, next, he visits the knife shop that Mr. Reficule uh, recommended to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, there he obtains a uh, beautiful set of uh, knives, Japanese knives. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get a little bit more information from the uh, the, the uh, blade maker uh, about uh, Mr. Reficule's uh, worldwide uh, reach mm-hmm. and status as someone mm-hmm. who pays very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's just a little bit more information that uh, if you're really dense, you haven't already picked up on what this kind of what kind of guy he is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now this is interesting because the next scene is the first one that really kind of shoves it in your face. But throughout the movie, uh, you notice that uh, that almost everyone is watching some form of weird Spanish. Entertainment Tonight TV. Uh, yeah, yeah. That usually has to do with star, some stars have, making yeah. an appearance, having an affair with others, you know, or some sort something of, like you know, that. something like that. Some sort of thing about personal looking in on the lifestyles of the rich and famous, you know, kind of thing. And there, and it's always some vacuous, obvious yeah. piece, puff piece that's yeah. just, just done to it's keep basically like it's, all, it's on the E-Channel. It's like the E-Channel we get here. Right, it's, like, right. it's like every TV there is set on the, on the E-Channel. On the E-Channel constantly, as, yeah. if, there's yeah. no, as if there's no you know, CNN or, there's nothing or, else, yeah. or freaking TV land, any uh-huh. goddamn thing. But uh-huh. no, I don't know. We're going to watch, we're gonna watch these, these vacuous numbskulls and do something stupid on the street because they drank too much or whatever. Um, here's where we meet TikTok. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is... Um, Pablo is uh, in in the club. He's 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 there just relaxing, watching the show. He's not there working yet. Uh, and a w- woman comes up and introduces herself. Her name is Rebecca Viozen, and uh, uh, she's uh, supp- the uh, the other two Grizel, Gr- Grizel and Reficule are a little late, and they sent her ahead. Uh, they were supposed to be meeting there for dinner. So uh, this is where he meets her. Uh, she informs him that her friends call her TikTok. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next scene is where Pablo sits down across the desk from uh, Reficule, and uh, they go over the contract very briefly. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he signs the contract to, uh, to work in the club as the doorman slash entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an interesting scene, and there's a lot that could be talked about with this scene. I love the way it's played out because if you had any doubts before, yeah, <laughs> the 
signing of this document uh-huh. really kind of puts a seal to it because yeah. it's... I really thought he was going to find accidentally prick his finger or something and have to <laughs> and sign it. And it'd be blood, yeah. Blood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, 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 he just, he just signs yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, one thing I was very curious about, and I, I, was, I was fearful that I might uh, miss out on uh, something that could be of use to us. Uh, I, I was curious about that name, Rebecca uh, Voisin, V-O-I-S-I-N, that uh-huh. is the real name of TikTok. And uh, it, Voisin is a French word that uh, essentially means something like adjoining or near, uh, next to or next door. Hmm. And I don't think that necessarily means anything at all. I think it may have yeah. just been a name just, chosen yeah, as a intrigued. name. Yeah. But I thought... Huh. Sometimes I, I sometimes I look for meaning oh, in names. No, no, in it's fiction. very no. It's especially in a story like this. I think it'd be very. Con- I mean, it's definitely a good avenue to to try. You know, to yeah, throw, see, yeah, see yeah. if if there's more. You know, uh, you know. I, I was yeah. I was uh, uh, I had not thought about that, but I'm glad you at least checked because you never know. And you know. Yeah, I, I didn't know what it might, what it might be. I mean, anytime you're looking at something where Lucifer spelled backwards is someone's someone's yeah. name, it's like suddenly yeah. I want to check every stinking name. So. No. Just to make sure we don't miss a certain, uh, you may have had it later in your notes, but I think I've got it a little earlier, so I think we may have just passed the uh, one of my favorite visuals from the whole film, which, which is? is where he's wandering on the streets and he walks besides what we think is a statue. Oh yeah, of an angel that turns out to be a. Uh, it looks like he's passing a stone statue, and it, and it turns out it's to be a street, a street performer. performer. Yeah. Uh, I, and I just think, and I think thematically, what we learn later in the film, you know, as the film goes on, we realize how much, you know, looking back on it a second time, we realize how much that that has more significance in the film, you know. But I, but it's also, I think, just an amazing because the guy's costume and makeup is incredible. Oh, it's beautiful. He truly looks like a stone, old, like weathered Statue. angel. But I just think it's just kind of a neat visual touch there, you know. That that uh, it is nice, and there are lots of. We should stress that uh, going through the film as we are really doesn't give you a sense of just how beautifully yeah. photographed and beautifully edited yeah. and well put together uh, this thing this thing is. Mm-hmm. It's beautifully made. It's a very well made film. This is not some uh, half assed. Mm-hmm. This is not where uh, Werewolf in the Amazon. This is not a no, piece no. of crap right. where you can see the seams and the seams yeah. become so distracting that you yeah. can't pay attention to what's happening. Yeah. This is a well made movie. This is yeah. really quite good. And we, uh, I think it was a. School Killer, when we did the film School Killer, you know, we talked about the the kind of tendencies of new directors to overplay their hand a little bit, to sometimes do things that they are a little too show-offy, a little too flashy yeah. to call attention to their skills. And you were right when you said that there are, you know, a couple of times when maybe the, this director, who's also a first-time director, maybe goes a little too far with that. But well, like you yeah. said, 95% of what he does works really well like not only are they very neat transitions from some of the coolest transitions from one scene to a next or from a location to a next yeah but in most cases they make sense still within the story of the film like they have another meaning to like you know to to what to the actual story you know to, uh-huh. to what to ties the story it's not just visual showing off or just a, a you know that they actually the transitions and the editing and the 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 weird you know uh, like scenes where you go into someone's sunglasses and suddenly you're on come out of the other side and you're on a dark alley you know in a dark alley or something like that I mean they're they really really just keep a, a great kind of energy going in the film yes exactly they keep the energy up and off and as you said oftentimes they're use he's using these uh, these interesting kind of often uh, morphing transitions from sequence to sequence mm. to point to something that's yeah. carrying you from one scene to the other like a scene it's, where Nashi 
morphs into this weird, his head morphs into this, the head of this little figure that's on Reficule's desk, you know, that kind of rocks back and forth. But that's a perfectly playing into, you know, that Nashi's becoming under this guy's sway, you know, exactly, exactly. He's losing, losing a little bit more of Mm -hmm. his, uh, not necessarily losing his mind, but a little bit of his independent thought mm-hmm. processes are going away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of my favorite little transitions of that, and it's very minor, but it's a sequence where Nash is walking along the street, and uh, we see uh, his uh, close-up of this of the cane come into view from the top of the frame. Yeah. As a transition to the next sequence, yeah. and what's beautiful about it is then then the camera pans up as he continues walking down the sidewalk, yeah. and he's right in front of a th- and he's looking up in a, at, at the mm-hmm. the facade of a theater. Mm-hmm. And it becomes obvious that he's he's sad and he's looking at this because this is a place where he used to work. Yeah. He yeah. used to be in plays produced in this theater, mm-hmm. but by bringing him into the scene with the first image we have of him is of that cane. Is we're reminded that's a sword cane. We yeah. know it's a sword. Cane. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of those those moments where his his um, he's keeping that sword cane with him. He's not he doesn't need it to walk around, right. but he is carrying it around. Mm-hmm. It's this wolf headed sword cane, and it becomes uh, one of the minor symbols in the film of the transition he's making to from from being just a sad, mm-hmm. angry man to yeah. being an angry, violent man. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, like point. I say, it's it's a very minor thing. But in in a, in a single you know thirty second section of the film, it's showing you visually that transition in motion. Yeah, and it's it's both in motion on screen and it's in motion within the character itself. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> boy, I sound a little fucking pretentious yeah. now. Don't I? <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Ah, uh, yes, yes. I was I was yeah. off in Potencho Vision Land there, dude. <laughs> Nobody was seeing that shit but me. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. I thought it was it was quite. It, it makes me want to go back and watch that again. I was like, I, I missed something there. No, that was good. <laughs> well, it's after that scene where he's standing out in front of that theater that he actually uh, he makes one he makes a call to Martin from a payphone, struggling once again to try to get Martin to get him some real work, mm-hmm. and you know it goes nowhere, of course. Uh, we next see him dressed as Rasputin, kind of uh, out in the rain, mm-hmm. uh, doing the the doorman thing there, and uh, he looks great. The costume oh, yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. The the makeup is great. The uh, the the long Fu Manchu mm-hmm. beard slash mustache is fantastic. But the uh, um, you, you do wonder if this is the kind of thing that a man like this could could deal with long term, well. or if this is something that uh, and this is a question maybe for those of us who've watched the film, but do you feel that the choice of giving Pablo as a character this kind of job, and it pays very well, so it pays so much mm-hmm. that there's almost no way, even though he's right. desperate, there's almost no way he could turn down that money. Right. But it being the kind of job that really does not take advantage of what he sees as his skills and ability is almost perfectly calculated to push him over the edge without any kind of supernatural intervention, without Mm. there being any kind of uh, uh, diabolical, you know, (laughs) sulfur-smelling beast nearby to push buttons. If just that alone is the thing that could drive this man who is so clearly mm-hmm. embittered and, and, and angry to the point where he would become a violent person. 
See, I think that Nashi could have gone that way and and not included the yeah. other levels that are to this story, the other things going on. I agree. And it would have worked with us, so the fact that he makes it kind of more complex and raises the more questions, you know, it's that he throws these other elements in there as far as what is really causing Pablo to do this, you know, what is really, you know, his motivation, how much is he being manipulated and how much is this just unleashing well, what's already in him. But, but, this, yeah, 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 exactly. but this scene right here, I mean... You know, and we also mentioned that as people, we, we, I don't know if we did, but as people are coming in and out of the club, they're kind of ridiculing, kind of pointing over and yeah. laughing at him and even throw a couple of coins his way. But I'm sitting there thinking, like, boy, this one scene, think about this. You know, Nashi outside of Club Pandora, which is a club, you know, he's outside. Right. I mean, can you ask for any more visual? Can, you know, could Nashi <laughs> have made a more visual point of exactly what he's trying to say yeah. here here yeah. I am on the sidewalk outside the club barred from you know barred from entry because yeah I'm, I'm yeah I'm the entertainment I'm yeah. the thing that they're laughing at yeah yeah it's it's just you know but not even that I'm not even I'm not the respected entertainment you know it's like I mean the, yeah. the club Pandora I think represents yeah <laughs> we know what it represents it's 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 the it's the Spanish movie industry is what it represents exactly you know? these are this is a place where he can he he can he can be allowed in to uh, to view the entertainment, yeah. but he's not ever going to be lo- allowed mm-hmm. in as an equal or as someone who mm-hmm. is worthy of actually being on the center stage. Mm-hmm. And like we're happy to put you out on the street in the rain to earn a little extra, you know, money yeah. for us. Just like we're happy to throw your horror movies out there in the in the, on the driving yeah. circuit or out there in a little two pickup circuit. But we don't because really they're because them, they're cash yeah. cows. Yeah. And, and yeah. We'll, we'll we'll deal with that. But yeah, well, uh, and 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 remember, we're not being pretentious. No, we're not. We're not. This reading. is all we're there. We're not reading yet. So this right. is all there. We are not reading anything into anything. <laughs> Although talking about this does make me feel that way sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Aquí están los contratos que son transcripción exacta de los acuerdos a los que hemos llegado. Veo que están escritos en varios idiomas, incluso cirílico, otros en francés, en alemán. Señor Tevenet, somos una multinacional. De acuerdo. Firmaré. Bienvenido a este barco, señor de Benet. ¿Fuma? Okay, so <clears throat> I want to say here because I was going to say this at some point. This is as good a place as any because we 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 referenced him. Nashi being out here dressed as Rasputin out in the outside, you know, referenced his horror movies and stuff. But um, one thing, uh, somebody who hasn't seen this film might be, and have heard our podcast or familiar with Nashi's filmography, might be wondering: Is this not just a, a basically another reimagining, reboot, whatever of, of of another version of Howl of the Devil? Oh, yeah. And it's like yes and no. I mean, the he's still channeling the same kind of, still channeling the anger. Of that, but this is what's the main key difference in this, and I thought it was interesting because it didn't really hit me until the second time. Is around is in How the Devil, he's pretty much playing the aging, forgotten horror star. Yeah, but he's not playing that here. He's playing actually just. I mean, never really references him as a as a horror star. I mean, even though it shows in the opening credits, it shows scenes of you know of of uh, of uh, you know him from some of his past films and horror movies. But when they talk, when they reference his most of his films, most of the ones they references are reference are the things that he directed, like El Comandante, 
and, uh, Naked Madrid and yes, uh, exactly. Frenchman, Frenchman's Garden. And I don't think, as I remember, even though people throughout the film are saying like, oh yeah, I remember you, didn't you used to do this stuff? But I don't really think that there's much emphasis played on, no, didn't you used to play all these monsters? You know, so he's not really... It's almost like he's he's almost like playing the it's almost like this is the version of how the devil for the sort of the latter half of, of Nash's career like the you know he, yeah. this character he's playing here is like you said a stage and a stage and, and movie actor but not specifically a horror star so right you know so it's it's, it's clear that uh, in his career he t- he does he, he does mention that he got to play that he played a number of of mm-hmm. great characters right right and uh, the uh, the addition of this uh, of Pablo the character being someone who did a lot of work on the stage allows him to kind of open him up. Mm-hmm. There's a point at which he quotes uh, Shakespeare, exactly. from Hamlet. yeah, yeah, and you get the sense. Uh, he 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 says at one point uh, he mm-hmm. he references some of the characters that he played a couple of times. He's referencing characters that he played on stage, mm-hmm. which are 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 classic characters from the you know the 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 great mm-hmm. playwrights of the past several hundred years and so what he's doing is he's making this character an even better version of himself to a large degree yeah. and I this think, this is a man with many different triumphs and yeah. in, in 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 the uh, the world of acting so and i think nashy does that to make this guy's despair even more kind of encompassing of not just that it's not just the horror stars that have forgotten it's just the the industry it's, it's, as generally yeah. beginning all of it's as you become an older actor, as you age, there's just not a a place for you in the entertainment world. And 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 you know, like Boris Karloff's character in Targets is closer to what Nashy was doing in How the Devil, in the sense of yeah. bemoaning how people's taste in horror and their appreciation for classic horror has 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 withered, you know, or just changed, you know, how they they classic horror is not being respected. Here it's 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 even broader. It's just literally just aging performers, aging artists. Yeah, you know, and, he, and he and he brings that up in other ways by having him talk to a couple of times to this actor who he meets uh, this old actor friend that he meets yeah, in that's, the restaurant. Yeah, we we'll come up actually on that scene, which is a really good scene. Yeah, we, we, it re- it really is. And this yeah. guy's uh, this guy's down on his luck. He's he's mm. doing the best he can, hustling for any job that he can get his hands on. And Nashi, who now has money, is is you know not a lot of money, but he's he he treats him to 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 lunch and feeds him and actually hands him a little money a little money to help him out. And uh, this this scene also has a the, the great line from Nashi. I says uh, <laughs> success in this business depends on your tongue. Yeah. <laughs> so many asses to lick. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah 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 yeah. I yeah. understand. You're right. <laughs> and it's just this. Uh, in a, in a lot of ways, you could picture this film as a kind of sharp criticism of ageism in the mm-hmm. entertainment industry, mm-hmm. uh, in film and television. Mm-hmm. And the um, the fact that when he does snap, and we'll get there, folks, trust me. Yeah, yeah. When he does snap, he does he, he's, he's pointing himself, except for uh, one instance, mm-hmm. he's pointing himself directly at what he sees as young, vacuous... Directors and starlets and and mm-hmm. actors who are very uh, very much bereft of talent, mm-hmm. or if they do have talent, it doesn't matter because all they really seem to be good at is publicity. Right. All they really yes. seem to be yes. good at is promoting themselves, mm-hmm. and that is basically the opposite of what he, as an actor yeah. who played these characters. Yeah. Feels like you should do. He never spells that out, but it becomes more and more evident the more you look at the film and as it as it progresses. When you realize, 
Well, he's always talking about the various characters he plays. He references Hamlet. He references mm-hmm. Gilded Ray, Rasputin, mm-hmm. Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. The uh, the there there's a couple of moments in the movie that actually I. I not I wasn't mentioning the white whale out of out of without any without any uh, prompting because there is a moment when I actually get a feeling of a man who is you know thinks of himself as Ahab at a certain point. So yeah, there are all yeah. these classic characters from from literature and the stage where these are things you became as an actor. Mm-hmm. The point was not that you were br- bringing attention to yourself; it's that you are creating a character. You're bringing attention to the story you're telling. Yeah, and. It's very easy to see him being someone who's allowing his anger mm-hmm. to attack the mindset of these vacuous young, quote-unquote, yeah. actors or entertainers yeah. or whatever, right. that they're not really doing anything worth a damn. What they're doing is nothing. It's mm-hmm. it's all this surface crap that has absolutely no depth. Mm-hmm. Which, once again, maybe mm-hmm. I'm being mm-hmm. pretentious. <laughs> maybe pretension is creeping into my thought processes here. But I think it's there. I don't think it's something that if he were in the room with us, he would do anything other than nod his head and agree with me if he could understand my sad English. So. <laughs> well, I believe, now that he's just had lunch with his, his yeah. other out-of-work actor oh, friend, I believe we're going to uh, where things kind of kick into another gear here because he You're goes right. to an audition. This, he is, goes to, this is where things start. You're he right. goes to Martin and he starts talking about this. And this is where the scene, this is where the film, and we're pretty much far, we're pretty far into the film at this point, you know, but yeah. things are about to start boiling over. But. He goes to visit his, his Martin again, and uh, <laughs> and Martin relates to uh, Pablo the the, uh, the publicity BS that he's cooking up for some of his clients. Right, and uh, I, I love this. That Nash is just kind of grinning at him across the the desk, and he says, uh, "You sell garbage well." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's he, Martin says, "Well, that's that's what the public wants." Mm-hmm. Pablo takes this time to relate the tale of his most recent audition for an acting gig mm-hmm. with a young director and the hot starlet that's going to star in, star in his, uh, his film. And uh, so what we have is, he, with his visit from, while he's visiting Martin, we get these neat flashbacks to this interview, this audition. And uh, the uh, director, who's rather arrogant, mm-hmm. starts telling Pablo, what uh, the role, what the role is that he wants him for, and let's just say that Pablo finds it insulting. Yeah, he's supposed to walk into a room full of people naked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah. the shot value alone, that's yeah. the reason this guy wants him to do it. Mm-hmm. This would appear to be the point at which mm-hmm. Pablo has had enough. Yeah, I don't know if it's the straw that broke the camel's back, mm-hmm. but it definitely breaks mm-hmm. his back. This is where he calls a halt to it. He calls it an insult. And uh, has this great line. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wage a war to the death on shit. <laughs> yeah. And so he's yeah. telling Martin about what happened, and he yeah. says, oh, I killed him. I killed yeah. that director. I killed yeah. the director. Oh, and the the, yeah. the, the hot young girl. Ingenue, yeah. yeah, the ingenue. I killed her, too. <laughs> and we see that he did. He, yeah. This he, mm. he sliced open his his, his uh, the director's stomach and his intestines fly out and then he uses that wonderful sword cane and s- throws it in a beautifully edited yeah. shot yeah. sequence throws it through the screaming ingenue's head. Yeah. Uh-huh. We say come out the back of the wall. The wall there. I know that's, that's beautiful. Crazy, you yeah. never actually see the yeah. head being pierced. Yeah. But the editing and everything is mm. all you need. It's beautifully yeah. done. Mm-hmm. Very effective. Martin's not sure he believes this story. 
uh, of surely you didn't you, you didn't do this and this is where we have the first mention of one of the things in Pablo's background that may be pushing him right. to the desperate desperate straits in which he feels he is in. Mm-hmm. Martin says, "Look, I, I I I think that the death of your daughter and the separation from your wife." Mm-hmm. may have unbalanced you, and I think you need to see a psychiatrist. Because he really doesn't believe mm-hmm. that he, he killed these people. Yeah. But he thinks that if he's saying this, then he's truly unbalanced. Mm-hmm. This is where we learn, like I said, this is where we learned that um, Pablo's daughter was murdered. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fallout from this is that he separated from his wife, which, along with the general decline in his career, mm-hmm. is... Is the end, these are the underpinnings of his emotional state. These are the things that have driven him. And that is obviously the young woman in the photograph beside his bed and probably one of the things that keeps pushing him awake in the night with nightmares. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, how many people, hands up, think that Martin survives this scene? <laughs> how many? How many of you? Hands up. Everybody, um, you know. About as many as liked Martin in the first place. How exactly. many of you really, really liked his character and hoped he would survive the whole, the whole film? Well, let's just say Martin's throat gets cut and move on. Yeah. Those beautiful Japanese knives, yeah. they're getting a workout. Yeah. <laughs> I love how in both scenes we're seeing the flashback to when he kills the director and the ingenue. Mm. And he's sitting there telling Martin about it. We see him pulling on black gloves. <laughs> yeah. He had the before he does these things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just really like that touch. <laughs> how he's doing it in both, mm. both of the, yeah. the scenes. Now the next scene... Is interesting, and this may be the point at which you start to get a bit of a, a sense that maybe there's a little bit of dream logic in this film. Yes, I was. I'm glad you brought that up. I want to talk about that more later, but let's go okay. ahead and say what happens here. Well, you see Nashi uh, sitting on a park bench, uh, and he notices out of the, out of the blue, he looks to his left and sees mm-hmm. a wax sealed envelope mm-hmm. addressed to himself, sitting sitting yeah. next to him on the park bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, he picks it up oh, and reads it, and it is an invitation to meet uh, uh, a German uh, producer Herr named Fuchs, Herr Fuchs uh, at, the, at a nearby cemetery about a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes there, meets the man, uh, gets into his limousine. For some reason, he thought a cemetery was the perfect place to meet. Mm-hmm. Actually, later we find out that he owns the cemetery, which would make it a reason that he would want to be there. Mm-hmm. But probably not a good reason to meet someone who owns a cemetery and insists on doing their meetings there in a white limo parked outside their cemetery. They well, own. for the same reason, you don't want to get too friendly with somebody who owns a lot of pigs. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or someone named Air Reficule or Mr. Reficule. So, yeah. uh, well, uh, he uh, Pablo talks to this uh, fellow Fuchs and his uh, cohorts there in the, in the vehicle, and they explain that they have a uh, place in cinema that they would like him to uh, fill. They want him to uh, come, come, come with them and start making movies for them. They don't explain what kind of movies yet, but he, he explained, Pablo explains, well, I have a contract mm-hmm. with uh, Reficule. And he said, we, we actually know Mr. Reficule. He's the one who suggested that we talk to you. So if, mm-hmm. this, you know, if we can come to terms, mm-hmm. that won't be a concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is an interesting turn. Very strange. Yes, it is. And have, you know, this this is mm. where you, this is where you start to think. Well, mm. and th- this is the, what popped into my mind is like, well, he killed those. He's killed three people now. Yeah, yeah. He, he's just off them. We've yeah. seen it happen. And right after that, it's like there's this bizarre little reward. Yeah, yeah. 
an offer of a return to cinema in a, in a fashion. Well, the next sequence is is neat, and this scene. Oh wow! <clears throat> this this is one of my. This to me is the most amazing scene in the film. For several oh, okay, reasons. okay, okay. Uh, well, what, what's interesting is I think. Well, afterwards, afterwards we'll, we'll talk yeah, about yeah. this. This this is uh, this takes place in an underground garage where we we're introduced to a, a, a middle aged man mm-hmm. and uh, a, a woman who seems to be a, a, another young up and coming starlet who's mm-hmm. of course attached herself to a producer because you know my, 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 yeah. much like a. A lamp read to yeah. <laughs> a barnacle to the side of, of, of a liner. You got to go where the money and the food is. And uh, they're in this underground garage talking about some upcoming film project mm-hmm. that they're both involved in. And uh, they, they first hear what uh, they're pretty sure are spurs. And sure enough, there is Pablo dressed in a, an amazing costume yeah. uh-huh. as Gilda Ray, uh-huh. a.k.a. Bluebeard. And uh, pretty quickly, the uh, the the middle aged man realizes who he is. He yeah. he, re- he recognizes yeah. him. Yeah. And uh, let's just say that this this middle aged man is a stand in oh for uh, yes for a certain British director uh, <laughs> for a certain British director who let's just say well they they said they oh say it, they state it right out it's it's the it's uh, they. they Pablo talks about it's, st- accuses him of stealing the, the devil's, devil's cross. Yeah, <laughs> you stole the devil's cross from. What is so much greater watching this film now after we've yeah yeah watched it before before we did the Nashy cast where we knew uh, you know something about Paul Nashy and after doing these fifty yeah, episodes where we yeah. really know to come across this again that's what was why I said it was the most amazing. I'm just sitting there thinking like. Geez, Paul, hold a grudge much? You know, it's like, I damn. I mean, to just totally blatantly, pretty much, just like well, say, by this time, John Gilling was dead. Thank yeah. goodness. Yeah, so it's not really. like it's not like he could see this movie and go, "Holy shit, this man holds a grudge like a son of a bitch." If we're being confusing, if you haven't heard our Devil's Cross episode, Devil's Cross is a film that was originally Nashie's story idea. Nashie wanted to be in the film, and when John Gilling directed it, he didn't feel Nashie was appropriate for the lead role. He wanted him in the film, but not in the lead role. Uh, Nashie wouldn't accept anything other than lead role and so uh, he uh, there was a parting of the ways there was a parting of the ways that yeah and and, uh, and here we see what Nashie's real feelings about the whole the whole situation was <laughs> which are pretty bad yeah because apparently this guy here in this parking garage is a stand in for John Gilling because uh, uh, Pablo accuses him of stealing the devil's cross from him and and then uh, and butchers him and his his consort there. So. <laughs> yes, butchers is correct. He uses uh, yeah. uses a sword on him and mm-hmm. kills it kills him dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the next scene we have. Oh well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's talk about the whole underground garage scene yeah. where yeah. he where he kills the the stand in for John Gilling. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that that whole sequence could be taken completely out of the film and not affect the storyline at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 to a point, except that maybe this is the best... Maybe this, well, the, maybe later this, later on, there's blood on the costume and that's something TikTok brings up to it. Well, and it is referenced in the news, too. Is it, Or is it the... It is, it is, but that's that's a voiceover and could have easily been changed, too. Yeah, yeah. But the reason it's odd is that, to me, this is the only old person other than Martin Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because all the other people that he kills mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. young filmmakers. You're right. And starlets. That's a good point. So yeah. it's, 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 I mean, it's not that mm-hmm. big a standout because, yeah, he kills Martin too. And then later on, he ends up killing people of lots of different mm-hmm. ages. But nevertheless, mm-hmm. it did kind of stand out in that it comes right after the, uh, the sequence where they're sitting in the, uh, the limousine talking about, uh, him 
directing some movies for him for them. And the sequence after it, it doesn't. They don't really right. fit. I mean, yeah. you can take that sequence out. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to have it there. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but it's not necessary. Sure. But it is juicy. I do see, I do see it is point. it is juicy when you know when, yeah, when you no, know your no. Nashy history. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, the next sequence has TikTok talking with uh, Pablo, and uh, she just flat out tells him that she knows he's killing people. Mm-hmm. She's put two and two together. Mm-hmm. She's well aware of what he's doing and what's going on here. The next scene is uh, the the actor that uh, Pablo. Uh, had dinner with, had lunch with, and bought lunch for. His name was Brutus, mm-hmm. and he's sitting and talking with him again, and uh, they're talking a little bit back and forth about the uh, these horrible murders that are going on, and Brutus is is saying, you know, how it's, you know, this is this is this is awful, this mm-hmm. is terrible, and uh, Pablo doesn't seem all that upset about it, <laughs> much 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 yeah. to Brutus's yeah, I know he's uh, like you know, being... <laughs> concern, uh-huh. and he and uh, he says, don't you think it's terrible? He says, uh, and Pablo says, I don't know, call it reconstructive surgery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which I which I really really like. That's that's a great line. Yeah, until they started, pub- you know, there was a little bit in the, the for a brief period here in the film. Here I was, uh, and you mentioned this is getting back. You mentioned that dream logic earlier that yeah. the film starts to take on. For a little while in this film, I was actually wondering if these murders were actually happening anywhere yes. other than in his Pablo's head. head. And it wasn't, and and because, you know, there's no, because he's doing this and then, then nobody's referring to him. Another thing made me think about was after he commits that first, where he kills Martin and, and flashes back on killing the people at the audition, the, we talked about then you see him at that park bench there. And in that scene where he's at the park bench, he starts to look around him like he's coming out of a... Of a day, like he's almost been, and yeah. and there's a couple of times when that happens early on in the film, and I'm sitting there wondering like how much this in his head. Now, when it starts to then get this point where they're openly talking about like these these people that he's killed have disappeared and they're in the right. news, and then I'm like, okay, okay so, so he, maybe that's he, not yeah. so much, you know. Yeah. But but it's kind of neat for a little while. I was wondering if they were going to go down that road, sort of similar to the film of American Psycho, you know, like where right. you know you watch it. There's a lot of question about how much really does he how do, much and how much in happens head, in his head yeah. if it was going down that sort of path. But. Well, there's another part where I mean, if you've ever seen uh, Roman Polanski's film Repulsion. Oh yeah. oh yeah, where you watch Catherine Deneuve deteriorate yeah. over the course of a weekend, Love that, descended, film, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that that classic descent into madness, mm-hmm. and you begin to wonder because you don't, you know, in that mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. you begin to to suss out how much is in her head, how much is real, you yeah. know, what is that wall cracking, things yeah. like that, yeah, and you start to you start to get a sense of just where the dividing line is as you mm-hmm. start, you know, the, the further along the film goes, but. Um, and I, I wondered if that was the path down which this mm-hmm. film was treading, but that mm-hmm. that 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 is not what it, where it is going. These murders right. are taking place, right. and we do find out. I mean, TikTok spells out basically. I mean, really spells it out for him when she says, mm-hmm. "Look, you, there's no way you should still be walking the streets. Mm-hmm. What you what you're doing? The cops should have locked you up a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. How do you think you're getting away with this?" And she even like refers to his physical stamina has improved. I mean, they yeah. just had sex. You know, he's yeah. having sex with her, and also the fact that he was walking around as Gilda Ray in this big suit of armor that he's actual his physical strength has been increasing. Right, right. Oh, and the, uh, of course, uh, we. Maybe we should stop going into such incredible detail, but I do absolutely love the visit to the soap opera set where the the really bad actress he's dressed up as Jack the Ripper and he just yeah. threatens this actress yeah. horribly and yeah. suddenly she, and she's so fucking scared they think suddenly the the director yeah. and producer think oh shit she can she's actually awesome. she's good she's, actor, yeah. she's good at this but he just scared the hell out of her <laughs> yeah that was pretty good. <laughs> 
este tío me lo ventilo yo. Lleva un colocón de la hostia. Oye, Yoma, ten cuidado. Este tío es peligroso. Puta de oros, pero... Pero si tú eres... Si tú eres Pablo Tevenet, ¿dónde coño has estado metido durante todos estos años? En el infierno, cerdo. Empujado por ti por otros como tú. Al caos, a la miseria. ¿Por qué? ¿Porque no quisiste seguir conmigo en el proyecto de la Cruz del Diablo? Que no quise. Cinco. Me engañaste y me echaste. Tranquilízate, Tevenet. Comprendo que me porté muy mal contigo, pero todo eso ocurrió hace ya muchos años. Además, si charlamos tranquilamente, a lo mejor puedo echarte una mano. Tú y el hipócrita de Pórtolas me robaste ese proyecto. Ese fue el principio de mi desastre. Supe que las cosas te fueron rematadamente mal. Pero ya sabes cómo es este mundillo. Sentí mucho la, la, la muerte de tu hija. Una verdadera desgracia, pobre chica. Ferrero, tú no vas a volver a Hollywood. Pero tu próxima crónica va a escribir otro. Next, we uh, we have Pablo meeting with uh, the uh, with Fuchs and the, mm -hmm. uh, the the other the other producers of these uh, films that they wanted to make, mm -hmm. and this is where they uh, they make it clear mm -hmm. as we go around the table and they discuss what they're what they're wanting from him. Is they want to, they're they're essentially they want to produce classy snuff films, yeah, <laughs> actual yeah. snuff films, yeah. and they want him to direct them. Mm -hmm. And this is the scene where. Essentially, those last little shreds of, uh, yeah. of uh, I don't know, humanity may be the, the wrong word, but I guess maybe it, it fits. But those last little shreds of um, being a good and kind person mm -hmm. are kind of mm -hmm. plucked away from yeah. Pablo. Yeah. Where they, uh, they're, they're explaining this to him, and, he, and he, in the final moment where he's... He's not sure that he can go along with this, and he says it's it's very harsh to uh, to kill innocent people. And uh, one of them looks at him and goes, "Well, I mean, you're a professional." Yeah, yeah. And he kind of nods his head and smiles, and he goes, "Yes, mm -hmm. yes, I'm a professional." Mm -hmm. And yeah. you really, I mean, that's that's yeah, that's yeah, when you realize, okay, wait a minute, he just agreed. Mm -hmm. To do something he said might not be such a good idea. Killing innocent yeah, people. Yeah, he just went yeah, along with this. Yeah. Is that really going to happen? What's mm -hmm. happening here? Mm -hmm. Although you might say at this point, well, he kind of he, he has been killing innocent people, regardless of the fact that they're scumbags and jerks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> innocent is still. I mean, I don't know if it's in the eye of the beholder, but he's definitely killing yeah. some people who don't necessarily need to be killed. Yeah, right, right, exactly. It's like no matter how much you might sympathize with his. His beef against the, uh, you know, the industry. The, yeah, I don't know if he might be taking taking things a little far. <laughs> well, next next is a scene we see Pablo go into a bar where he uh, he talks to the bartender and buys from the bartender a uh, a gun. Yeah. He buys a handgun mm -hmm. from him. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is interesting because he suddenly decided he needs a mm -hmm. firearm. Mm -hmm. Next, he's dressed as uh, Ivan the Terrible outside the uh, the club, mm -hmm. outside the club Pandora, keeping up his keeping up, I guess, what would be referred to as day job, although yeah. it's really a night job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, 
TikTok, this is where TikTok says that uh, she she knows what what he's doing and that he needs to be he needs to he he needs to think about what he's doing here. Um, but this is the scene where TikTok comes out, speaks to him, right, and then goes back in the, back club, in the club, and you and Pablo watches her go back in, and start you start to realize that he really has some affection for her, is possibly in love with her, which is a big mistake. Yes. Because now he sees her going to the club with another man and remembers that her background is that she, you know, years before she was a prostitute. Yeah, I don't think we may have forgotten. Oh, we to may have skipped right over that. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, the reason why we find out why they call her TikTok. Uh, which I think is a really yeah. neat little character bit, which yeah. is that when she was a prostitute, she mm. used a, she used a, a stopwatch to, to time her sessions. Time her sessions. Yeah. yeah. With her customers, her clients, we mm-hmm. should say. So uh, he has uh, Pablo has a, another meeting with the yeah, yeah Pablo really morning. needs to fall in love with a prostitute. That'd be just perfect for his, his perfect. psychological state state of mind at this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, he has, uh, Pablo has a meeting with the refugee to tell him that uh, you know these uh, these cinema producers. Uh, I'm sorry, but then again, could is he falling in love with a prostitute because he identifies with her because he is prostituting his art by seeing isn't it wonderful to be pretentious? But pretentious <laughs> is so much fun. I love it. It gives me a, it gives me a big pretentious <laughs> stiffy to talk about this stuff. So pretentious many. stiffy. <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, anyway, you are hurting sorry. me in the best, most unkind way. All right, go back on track. Sorry, that's, that's... I don't know. That's all, that's that's all right. If I if I can dip my toes in pretension, then you <laughs> may right. dip your wick there. Hey, so therefore, as well, sir. <laughs> after fifty episodes, we've earned the right to be off color and. Uh, <laughs> And to, de- and to deviate down strange avenues. <laughs> I, I don't know that. I think that we were doing that before we ever earned any right to do so. <laughs> the first episode we were. Doing yes, I, it's like I think we were on track for about twenty minutes, and then yeah. it all went to hell. So yeah. yeah. But um, he has this meeting with Refugule, uh where he's explaining his uh, situation with these cinema producers, and uh, Refugule warns him. Now remember the contract you've signed, and be careful what you sign. After yeah. all, yeah. Now this is where he stalks. Uh, he he for for out of the blue he uh, he shows up in the soap the soap opera actress's uh, home, the one that he scared mm-hmm. the shit out of on the set. Right. Stalks her through the house, kills the uh, producer who was uh, who's banging her at the time. Yeah. And then kills her in 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 rather gruesome mm-hmm. fashion. Mm-hmm. And he does this while dressed as Jack the Ripper. And this is pretty uh, pretty hideous. He yeah. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. This is one where he actually kind of uh, acts out uh, one of the uh, Jack the Ripper murders by bisecting her corpse yeah, there. Yeah, pretty the much bed. the last Ripper murder was the most, gr- the most gruesome, gruesome of yeah. all, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, really interesting and uh, grotesque. And mm-hmm. this is when we come to him on the uh, set and shooting these uh, quote-unquote real snuff films. Going back to this Ripper murder now, can yeah. you... Don't you think you could also really make the statement that that could also have been taken out of this film? Oh, I agree completely. And then, you know, very well filmed sequence. I mean, yeah. very very gruesome. But I will say that it is actually at least it is at least set up by having the scene earlier in the movie where with that actor and, and the producer who's, yeah. who's 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 trying to talk her up to the director who's not buying yeah. it until she that's gets true. the shits kicked out. That's true. Yeah. But uh, so there he's on, he's on the on, on set and they're filming the real stuff st- snuff sequence. Which is uh, pretty rough, considering they've got this uh, completely naked woman strung up from a chain and this mm-hmm. mass torturer yeah. Uh, yeah. doing nasty, horrible things to her. And while this is going on, he's directing the sequence. Um, Pablo starts to flash on his daughter, 
uh, who remember his daughter was murdered. She didn't just die; she was murdered. Right. And he starts to flash on his daughter's face and starts to see the uh, the female victim in this in this uh, quote unquote real snuff film they're making as his daughter. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he flips out mm-hmm. and shoots the uh, the actor who is the torturer, mm-hmm. and then shoots the cameraman, and then turns around and mm-hmm. at the table where. The where Fuchs and, and the other producers are, yeah. he shoots them all. He kills yeah. them all. Mm-hmm. While they laugh, they're yeah. thinking this is the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. Even while and they're all along, they've kind of had sort of a satanic appearance to themselves as well, yeah. or sort of a yeah. weird appearance too. This has been kind of a strange group of, of characters too, you know. Very much so, considering they yeah. they're shooting in in uh, a crypt in yeah. a in a graveyard, yeah. and apparently this Fuchs character owns graveyards and cemeteries mm-hmm. all over the country. Yeah. Or all, or, or all over the world. I think it's even stated all over the world, which points to a kind of supernatural aspect in this character as well. And of course, mm-hmm. this this sequence where he kills them while they laugh at the whole the whole thing kind of points toward that as well. Yeah. Uh, this is the scene where TikTok comes completely clean, and uh, I, I, this is this is after he slaughters everybody on right. the film set. Right. Uh, puts her cards on the table and he says, "Think about it. Why haven't the police caught you?" Yeah. Yeah. Well, you by now yeah. with what you've been doing, oh yeah, yeah, you should be you should be in prison, right? And she says, if you want to know what's really going on, here's Refugule's password. Go to his go to his computer, in in, in his office in the in the club, and uh, check check out the information he's got on his laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he's looking through it. He's looking over. He's looking over everything in uh, Refugule's uh, laptop there. When uh, Refuel uh, shows back up in his office unexpected, and uh, believe it or not, it's uh, it hasn't been obvious to anybody else in the film, but uh, apparently uh, Refuel spelled backwards is Lucifer. Lucifer, dun dun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the computer spews up all this information. We have this confrontation between uh, well, let's just call him Lucifer, and uh, and Pablo. Mm-hmm. Pablo explains that uh, uh, the number six 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 is involved here because apparently. Pablo was born on the sixth day of the sixth month. He was the sixth son right. of his father, mm-hmm. and uh, therefore he was, you know, he's right. He was ripe for, you know, being the the, the tool that uh, Lucifer needed here. And but it was missing one thing, and and as soon as he says that, yeah. Pablo is hip to the to the to the thing that was missing, and he says, "Virgin blood." Yeah, he's like, yeah. And, Refugule cops to the fact that they had his daughter murdered, mm-hmm. which is the thing that pushed him over the edge and mm-hmm. made him the perfect vessel for what they want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at that point, I think we probably ought to kind of chop the discussion of the details down to size here and kind of move away from it okay. and uh, not give away too much of the ending because there's a fair amount of the, the rest of the movie that's left. Mm-hmm. It's a short film overall, folks. The yeah. film is uh, an hour and uh, t- I think about 21 minutes Something like that, is when yeah. the credits start mm-hmm. to roll, I think. Mm-hmm. And the credits mm-hmm. lengthen the film out to about uh, an hour 26 or 27. Right. Uh, short watch, fast watch, <laughs> quickly paced movie. Mm-hmm. Um Beautiful to look at, mm-hmm. well directed, well done overall. Yeah. yeah, some fantastic performances, not just from the actors we've we've singled out and talked about, but honestly from the yeah. entire cast. Yeah. Well, yeah, we didn't talk a whole lot about the cast, but it, there's not a, a whole lot of, of people here who who you know who had involvement in Nashi's earlier career, but um, but there are 
but the people who are involved in this film have some really strong careers. Have some, I mean, there's yeah. some people in this film who have some very lengthy uh, resumes there, and uh, they and a lot of them do uh, really good work in the film. It's it's a fantastic movie, and it's really well done, and it's one that, like I say, as we said at the top of the podcast, it's something that. I would, honestly would hope that more people would seek out i think it's well yeah, done yeah yeah and it's something i think that uh i think that you don't even really have to be a major nashi aficionado i was gonna to say it too this. I, this is a film that i would recommend to anyone who who, who likes a, a good thriller good horror movie you yeah. know just yeah i would i would recommend this to yeah i agree with you uh, the, the, this is this is a pretty hip happening pretty damn interesting and fun movie mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, uh, it really is it's We've talked about this before over the course of the, mm. over the course of the life of the podcast. We've talked about how for your favorite horror actors, mm. you always hope for them to have that crowning achievement—a film near the end of their career, yeah. near the end of a long illustrious right. career in the genre—that kind of puts a, a cap on mm. their career. That kind mm. of gives you uh, some insight into what they were capable of that yeah. shows you their abilities it gives them one last really strong yeah. movie yeah. strong performance strong character to go out on mm-hmm. to you know in, in, a, in a way like i say put a cap on their career mm-hmm. and uh you look back and you go well karloff had targets yeah even though there were a few though there was yeah. terrible mexican yeah very few, uh, yeah, very few actors get to make it their final film but right. at least they make one if they can make one at least close enough to the end that you can like you said think of it as that capper on the career even if yeah. there's a few little you know there are I mean, a few things after but yeah. uh, you know but you're right <laughs> our targets was terrific for you know for karloff, for, for karloff. um and there are uh there are other actors who have mm. had that opportunity who've mm. had that that Capper film. Yeah, Vincent Price had the Whales of August, and he also had uh, uh, the uh, you know the appearance Edward in, Scissorhands. In the Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands yep. role. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, one might even say the Great Mouse Detective, but I'm not crazy. I enjoy <laughs> I enjoy the film. Don't get me hey, wrong. Hey, it was, that's that's fun. That's a good point. A good film. Hey, Vincent Price mm-hmm. sings in that. He movie, does. So gone. But um, what you have with this is one of those kind of dream moments for a horror yeah, film icon. Yeah. You have, mm-hmm. this is uh, his last great movie. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, he lived five years after this. He made a few more, he made a couple more movies after mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the last of his scripts to be produced. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, he, one could say in Pusa, but it didn't get finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it certainly didn't get finished by him. Right. This is the movie that, for, for any Nashi fan, this is the this is the 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 end point. Yeah. This is the pa- point yeah. past which mm-hmm. there are yeah. a few other little things to look at, but this is the this is the the great marker at the end showing you mm-hmm. this is what this man was capable of even at this point in his life. Yeah. Well, even after it, all the things he'd done. Yeah, because what's great about it is not only is his performance in it terrific, and he is just just does a great job in the film. But also that the script is his, and it's it's as strong as anything he ever wrote. I mean, it's yep. it's it shows that his he still had it. You know, he still had like a. I mean, it, and it's it's classic Nashy. Not only, I mean, there's so many things in it that are elements of classic Nashy scripts. Um, but it even has that kind of Nashy thing of, you know, maybe almost one too many ideas. You know, like like really, but <laughs> yeah, that's what we yeah. loved about him. You know, it's just the 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 just the man. You know, just he liked the layers. He liked throwing the ingredients in, and, and he does it in this one here. He wasn't you know he wasn't resting on his laurels and also just the uh just how much of how honest the script is with what he was what he was feeling you know is he obviously wasn't uh he wasn't looking to garner any he wasn't looking to curry any favor or to go out on a 
on a quiet note, you know, in this film. He was he, he really was was shouting at the devil in this one. Yeah, so, this is yeah. a this is a blast of vitriol. This yeah. is uh yeah. this is a man who's in a lot of ways biting the hand that's fed him. This mm-hmm. is this is uh it hasn't fed him for a while. Right, right. <laughs> and yeah. that's what he's pissed about. Yeah, yeah. But um uh, He's definitely uh, he's definitely going out on not just a high note but a, a, a high bitter cracking yeah. note. Yeah. This is someone who said, "All right, all right, fine, fine, fine. Mm-hmm. I got one last shot at it. I am going to throw everything I've got at this, mm-hmm. and I'm going to make this mm-hmm. the best movie I can possibly make it." And he, he lucked out, and mm-hmm. then he had he he got. He got lucky. He got a director willing to meet that script and really just do the best job that he possibly could. He really takes that style and revs it up to 11 and does it in in a way that, as we said, almost always enhances the story and does it in such an effective way. This is uh, yeah, and like I said, maybe when the most perfect thing that he met that it was a director beginning his career, you know, a first time director who did have skills and talent. But you know, uh, it might have been the perfect match for this script. You know, for, he he lucked out in a lot of ways to get to get this film made this late in his career. Yeah, yeah. If uh, th- if he had never made anything other than this for the entire twenty first century, mm-hmm. this would have been this this yeah. would have cemented him. Yeah, this is the perfect mm-hmm. black comic horror horror yeah fi- horror film to to uh, to put. Uh, to put a lot of questions to rest about whether the man still had it in him. Yeah, yeah. Let's be honest. Um, this uh, let, let's mention that uh, in some ways a lot of people and you did it earlier like to draw um, parallels between this and Howl of the Devil, mm-hmm. and uh, to a large degree, this is the uh, you can talk about Lycanthropo if you'd like that happened in the '90s, but in a lot of ways this is uh, this is the first real full-blooded horror movie that uh, Nashi had written and starred in. Yeah. Since How yeah. the Devil. Yeah. And they are similar in the kind of story they're telling, but it's not hard to say. As much as I like How the Devil, and I do mm-hmm. like How the Devil, this is the better film. Yeah. And it's maybe it's a better film simply because it is tempered by more experience. It is tempered yeah. by collaborating with a young director with yeah. a lot with a lot to prove. Um yeah, I think so. I, I agree. It is the better film, you know. How the Devil had its merits, and you know, it's certainly a film of interest, you know. But this film oh, yeah. is, is definitely a powerful film. You know, it got some strong moments, and and Nashi's good in that too. But yeah, this film is the greater achievement there. I think. Well, uh, on the one to ten scale, what uh, what what do you end up giving this? One? I end up giving it an eight. That's exactly where I fell as well. This well, is a, this is an eight. Well, I yeah. I think this is it's not a perfect film, but it is really strong. Yeah, yeah, and just the fact that you know it's a film that I. I'd recommend to anybody who's who loves film, you know, who's who's yeah. into who's who's into horror films and into uh, European films, and and also just yeah, who who appreciates you know films that don't spell everything out for you that leave you with a lot some questions about what's really going on, and this mm-hmm. one does, you know, we, like I said, we're not gonna we're gonna let you discover that for yourself, but uh, but the uh, the ending is an interesting one, and it's one that uh, you'll find yourself maybe. Uh, perplexed, maybe, or maybe you'll see, maybe you'll figure it out more than maybe necessarily I did. I've got my ideas, you know, but it's a fun film to think about. I mean, yeah, it leaves you, yeah. you know, what it's really saying. So, yeah. When you think back to uh, how many of Nashi's uh, films, uh, the, the movies that he scripted, how many of how many of them have those uh, those wonderful endings that we often we so often talk about where there's this neat little piece of information that you're given near the end of the story mm-hmm. that puts a different spin on a lot yeah. of things. It's not necessarily it's not necessarily a twist ending. Some in right. some cases it is, mm-hmm. but it's the kind of thing that um, 
changes your perspective on the entire mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Puts a, a, a puts a, a kind of uh, not a Rod Serling Twilight Zone kind of ending on something. It's, ne- it's never anything like that. Right. But it does give you some real insight into some of the cla- some of the the character motiva- motivations mm-hmm. or or uh, class distinctions within certain stories. And that's about as far as I'm willing to go without spoiling that's other true. movies. Right, right. But it's a uh, it's really nice that uh, as a storyteller, uh, Nashi. I think Nashi really kind of inherently understood in strong, in mm-hmm. yeah. strong. Yeah. And with Rojo Sangre, I think we have an example mm-hmm. of him ending strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, this mm-hmm. is. Uh, I will always think of this as his last film. It's really yeah, just his yeah. last great film, but it's yeah, just but it's, so much fun. It is. And yeah, and let's 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 make sure people understand that this is a fun movie. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of black humor in this, and there's mm-hmm. some really disturbing stuff in it. But as we stated, I mean, mm-hmm. that opening sequence where he's talking about yeah. shoving mice up his ass. I mean, <laughs> well, and then Nash's performance as as angry as his character is supposed to, and as and as and as kind of depressing as his overall view of, of where his state is as an actor or what he'd come to. Um, Nash has kind of a little bit of a glint in his eye in this film. I think maybe <laughs> yeah. realizing that he was in the hands of a good director or getting to to put this outlandish stuff on the screen at his age, you know, we're still getting to do something like this again. Is he, uh, I think he relishes the role and he's kind of got, he's, he's definitely got a, a, I think he's eating it, eating it up, you know, uh, I think uh, you're right. Being, I think you're right. to be in this kind of film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what folks, uh, that'll wrap up our discussion of Rojo Sangre for now. If you would like to uh, give us your two cents on this film or any other thing mm-hmm. relating to Nashi or any of the bizarre quit twists and turns yeah. that our conversation tends to take, uh, please write us at nashycast at gmail.com. Drop us a line or join us over on the Facebook page for the NashyCast. And uh, we'd be glad to hear from you. Uh, for right now, I think we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we will, uh, we'll let you know what we're doing next time. Damn that Madigan. Madigan. Just call me Dan. What the hell do you care about Dan Madigan? Madigan, from the novel by Richard Dorothy. Richard Widmark is Madigan, Detective Lieutenant. Henry Fonda, Police Commissioner in the world's toughest city, New York. Inger Stevens, Julie Madigan, too lonely, too passionate. Co-starring Harry Gardino, James Whitmore, Susan Clark, Michael Dunn, Don Stroud. The story? The story is the city. Seven, eight million people. Conflicts, tensions, sex drives, crimes. Drop the gun, Rocky. You're out of your mind, finished. I said tell him to drop the gun! Who keeps the lid on most of the time? That's the story, too. The department. The commissioner. At his level, power plays, corruption, policy. At the cop's level, bullets. I came here for justice, and I'm going to get it. But I don't want a policeman's idea of justice. I think you're talking about revenge, not justice. And finally, the story is Madigan. The whole towering structure jeopardized by one man, Madigan. His strength. Now be a good boy and drink your milk. His weaknesses. After my wife, I love you best. 72 hours to correct his goof, to bring in the killer on the loose, and his private life tripping him up. Why can't it be like it was before you got married? Look, man, you guys got no right to do this. You got nothing to tell you. I got my rights. I want a lawyer. Hey, what'd you do that for? That? What did I do my fault? You got no right to hit me like that. I got the law. You mean I'm supposed to have separate rules for Charlie Kane? What? I don't even have them for myself. 
What about you and me here in your bedroom? Is there a separate rule for us? What the hell were these fests? Let's go. from the gardening centre, Zion House, Brentford, Middlesex, England. Speaking uh, very well, sir. Speaking very well. Thank you very much. It's indeed very kind of you, sir. Um, I should like to ask this gentleman, in fact, who interrupted me rather quaintly a moment ago, a few questions. Uh, first of all, probably the most important question I shall ask him this afternoon, uh, who are you? I'm George Spigot, Esquire. George Spigot, Esquire. That is terribly interesting. What is your occupation, Mr. Spigot? Um, I'm, I'm the devil. That is very interesting. Um, what sort of tempting do you do? What, what sort of uh, things do you do to tempt people? Nasty things. For example, if I was tempting you, I'd probably size you up and see, see you being of a portly build. Forgive me saying that. Of course not. How? Very nice. A uh, portly build. I'd come up to you with a cream pan and say, why don't you eat that? That's, you see, tempting you to eat the ban and get fat and fall into the sin of gluttony. It's tremendous work. And obviously, it has a tremendous uh, satisfaction for you. Do you, do you enjoy it? All. Absolutely none at all. It's interesting because I was uh, preparing to interview you, and uh, these, two these two things are obviously closely connected me preparing to interview and you preparing to be interviewed. Do you see a connection here? Well, this is like the whole pattern of the universe has been designed in this way. Mm. God, in his infinite um, mercy and holiness, has designed everything one way or the other, like black and white, uh, uh, night and day, life and death. There is a corollary between us all. Yes. I see in the corner a certain figure um, eating eggs and other sundry groceries. Uh, who is he? Well, Stanley Donnan, famed director of uh, fame directing fame. I see. And uh, have you been able to tempt him at all? No, or? no, I haven't. I see uh, a certain um, arm uh, winding up and a jet plane flying overhead. I think this is a signal for us to wind up. Thank you very much, Mr. Spigot. Yeah, with Mr. Wilson. Thank, Thank you. you. Good Thank evening you. and God bless you. Hello there. That, of course, was Peter Cook and Dudley Moore from an improvised promo to one of my favorite comedies about the devil called Bedazzled. In the brand new year of 2015, the casters have finally decided to review Rojo Sangre. Those of you that know me know that besides Hunchback of the Morgue, this film has a personal connection that even surpasses the former Hunchback as the film that I love the most from Paul Nashi. Due to this, I am dedicating all of my segment to talking about this macabre masterpiece of gore, allegory, and human study. The format will go back to normal next time, complete with horror host segment. I wrote some of what I'm going to say back in September of 2013 on Nashi's birthday in a Facebook post about the film that Nashi's son Sergio called Amazing. <laughs> so I figured that was a great starting point and then I would fill it out with a little more commentary on the film. I'll try to keep this fresh and not rehash what Rod and Troy have probably already said about the film. 
art can speak to you in different ways because the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And even though it might not be the intention of the artist, you can come away with some truth from your interpretation. In 2010, I was in the pit of despair, losing my wife to illness, my car, and my job the year before. Needless to say, I was very angry, and I was very, very, very bitter. Seeing Rojo Sangre changed that. It taught me that if you stay that way, you lose your humanity and become some monster that makes you ashamed of looking in the mirror. With a black heart, you quote-unquote sell your soul to the devil, so to speak, and do things that might feed your primal need for revenge, but in the end will leave you empty and wanting out. But, my friends, it'll be too late. Be careful what you sign, indeed. I don't think Pablo is supposed to be fully liked, and I don't think that was ever Nashi's intention. Seriously, Pablo says himself a couple of times in the film, I am a fucking loser. Also, there is the story at the beginning of the film about sticking mice in condoms and inserting them rectally. Now, as funny as that story is, and believe me, that's laugh-out-loud funny stuff, this is not a wonderful human being by any stretch of the imagination. The story helps push Pablo over the line from a normal man with normal faults to a man with problems that lead him on his descent into hell. Now, we love the character pretty much because Nashi put a lot of himself into the character. He put a lot of his image and a lot of history into that character, but Pablo is a loser, and he is supposed to be that. And that adds light and shadow to the character and to the story. I love the ending as well. Pablo shoots Reficule, a.k.a. Lucifer, after finding out that he initiated the killing of Pablo's daughter. But hey, silly rabbit, you can't kill the devil. And we hear some narration proving that Satan is still alive and well and continues to drive Operation Thavenet up to its conclusion. Now, after Pablo's death at the hand of the police officer, he ends up in hell where he becomes a demon just like what he saw on Reficule's computer. He then ends up back on Earth with a different name and a power to make films that win awards. However, you can see that his hateful black heart now has graduated to demon status and he doesn't seem to enjoy anything about what he does, regardless of the satanically fueled accolades <clears throat> that now come his way. He looks at the screen and seems to be plead with us, the viewer. Be careful what you sign, he says, and I could not have said it better myself. Those of you that have read Nashi's biography know that the Mozart composition, Desiree, has followed him and popped up at certain times in his life as sort of a soundtrack to some of the weirder and darker events in Nashi's life. As I always end with a song, I thought that this was a perfect idea for a song to end this segment with. Here is a little history of the poem slash song. Desiree itself is a Latin poem or hymn which prays mercy at the dawn of the apocalypse. The poem was originally written by Thomas of Solano, an Italian friar of the Franciscans, who lived in the 13th century 
and the poem was an obligatory part of the Roman Catholic Requiem Mass for some centuries before 1969. Now the version I have chosen is from the thrash metal band Believer. Believer was formed in Colbert, Pennsylvania in 1986. The second album, Sanity Obscure, has the song Desiree Day of Wrath and it is usually cited as the highlight of the album. The orchestral section was conducted by Scott Layard and the song's first three minutes consist of an orchestral string, synthesizer effect, and the soprano's vocals of Julian Layard Hodge. After that, the band joins in with its thrash metal output in contrast with the orchestration. Now, until next time, this is your man in the field, Dan, signing off. Until next time, Viva Nashi. Oh, believer.
Alright, although Troy and I might not have uh, spoiled the movie for you, Dan did. Yeah, well, you That's know. That's okay. Dan is, Dan is a loose cannon, as we know. You know, <laughs> it's, it's hard to rein him in. So no, 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 no. No problem whatsoever. There's really no way to completely ruin this movie That's because true. the joy is in watching it. And it's uh, he didn't give away everything, thank goodness. Yeah. And even his interpretation of the ending is just his interpretation. Yeah, and it's actually yeah. because the ending is open to interpretations. And I like his interpretation, but you could might come away with a... I came a away from a... A, a related but different mm. interpretation, which I think, um, I think is, I think is very interesting. Um, let's just say that Nashi's uh, ability to pull a, a neat little trick at the end of a movie holds yeah. up well all the yeah. way up through Rojo Sangre. Mm. Yeah, and I like the way he elaborates on kind of what we, the point we made too about how this is, you know, this is not necessarily Nashi playing Nashi, you know, because yeah. as he said, you know, this guy is 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 not really, you know, this guy isn't is meant not necessarily meant to be a likable guy, you know. No. I mean, you might sympathize with his plight, but and figure that a lot of his character is brought on by his experiences that it's kind of driven him to this state of where his opinion of himself and of everybody is low and makes him kind of an unpleasant person in general. So (laughs) (laughs) as it would tend to, yeah. As it would tend to. If you hated yourself and hated everybody else, could you still be a fun, fun guy? Probably not. (laughs) You'd probably shove mice up your ass. Yeah, you probably would. It's true. Mm -hmm. It's very true. (sighs) Still not going to try that, no matter how much I'm enticed (laughs) by the fact that it sounded interesting. Never, never gonna shut. No, See, I'd always be afraid the condom would break and they'd chew their way up my up my ass all the way like out my throat. You know, it's like, some, you know. some bizarre, perverse, even more sick version of Room One Hundred and One from nineteen eighty four. No, the the rat isn't gonna eat his way through your eyes. Yeah. No, no, no. That would be far too simple for me. All right, folks. Well, we hope you enjoy Rojo Sangre. Either uh, you've already seen it and enjoyed it, or you will be seeing it soon because we are enticing you to do so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's well worth your time. It's yes, we are. We highly recommend it. Well, I uh, would like to, at this point, read some emails, but we have There's a problem. problem. We don't have any. Yeah, what's up, folks? You for know, the first you... time in... Oh, man years yeah we were used to getting deluged with them for a while but yeah, now there's yeah. no we have had no mail now i can only i have a couple explanations one i think that our last episode of my friend the vagabond left you feeling so full of warm christmasy <laughs> love of family thoughts that you spent so much time hugging your family and letting them know that you love them that you forgot to send us some love too so yeah. that's okay well that's lie. the other thing is knowing that our 50th Anniversary is coming up. <laughs> you were <laughs> our fiftieth milestone. You were all just you. You've been spending all this time preparing your accolades and your congratulatory emails that are really long and heartfelt that you're going to send to us about reaching our fiftieth yeah. milestone. So we'll let it slide that there's no mail this time. But no, let it happen again. Don't let it happen again. Now, it has been. It has really been years since we've uh, yeah. since we've gotten through a month and not mm-hmm. had any email whatsoever. It's kind of a shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that we actually do have one piece of email that we're going to address the next time we do a Godzilla episode. Mm-hmm. Really, that's the best place for it because yeah. it is an all Godzilla email, and so we're going to reserve that for uh, the next Bloody Pit Godzilla episode that we do. Right. Which will be in uh, two months. Yeah. So hold out till March, and we will be talking Godzilla again over on the Bloody Pit. Uh, I probably will, I may or may not, depending on what kind of feedback I get, I may or may not drop 
the uh, the next Bloody Pit Godzilla episode Troy and I do into the feed for this podcast. Um, we get good we, we get good reaction to it, but uh, mm. I don't know if it's necessarily mm. the right place to put it. Yeah. Other than I feel kind of bad when we go a full month without putting something in the feed. So sure. sure. Remember that you can email us, nashycast at gmail.com, or join us over on the Facebook page, or donate money to the cause to help us offset the cost of hosting these lovely bits of Spanish horror joy. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Pay us. (laughs) Give us money. I'm begging you. Send me cash. I have have pedicures that need to be paid for. (laughs) These things go on the credit card, and they have to happen. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have the money, then they go on the credit card. And you know what interest rates are like. These motherfuckers, they need the money. We have to have our vocal cords massaged each month between these podcasts yeah. so that we can continue to speak in dulcet and clear tones. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. say mellifluous again. Yeah. But yeah, that, that thing there, yeah. So what we have here <laughs> is uh, the knowledge that in a, in a couple of months in March, we'll be talking Godzilla again, but... What are we doing next month? Next month in February. Ah, people, February. We are going to visit, well, it's got a several names, but what we're going yeah. to visit is uh, Maniac Mansion, mm. a.k.a. Murder, Murder Mansion. Mansion, a.k.a. Exorcism Mansion. There's that no was, way. That, that was is. obviously, a, a, we, I think we know what that was trying to cash in on. Uh, Just yeah. like every other Spanish horror film in the 70s at some point <laughs> yeah, tried yeah. to cash in on. And this one's in that sweet spot. Maniac yeah, Mansion is. or Murder Mansion. I think of it as Murder Mansion, but uh, it came out in well, 1972. Well, what bothers me about Maniac Mansion is, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that also the title of, or am I, what was the name of this comedy series that Joe Flaherty did for back in the like... Oh my God, I don't know, dude. I almost want to say it was called Maniac Mansion 2, unless I'm just... But there was some kind of comedy... I watched it, I got to see a couple episodes of it, but there was a comedy series that had Joe Flaherty from SCTV... That I think kind of took had a sort of a supernatural or kind of was an oh my god you're thing. right maniac maniac mansion, mansion nineteen ninety TV series oh my god yes Joe, Joe yes. Flaherty yes uh, Paul Flaherty yes brother was it was well, he created it yeah the stars had along Joe with Flaherty. Eugene Levy and Martin Eugene and Levy Michael was, Short not Martin but Michael Short Michael Short, Short yeah. oh my lord dude there yeah. were three no, seasons no, I of remember, this. I mean, yeah I remember seeing a few episodes of it but see that's what bothers me about calling this film Maniac Mansion is is that's why to me I have to keep calling it Murder Mansion or I lose my mind because it makes because it makes me think of this of this show here. I <laughs> you remember this at all, huh? Dude, I had no idea that yeah. anything like a TV series called Maniac Mansion yeah. starring Joe Flaherty even existed. Mm-hmm. Holy hell! I, yeah, tell I tell me, just just give me give me one sentence when I ask. Just answer this question yeah. very briefly. Uh-huh. Uh, have I been saved or cursed by not knowing this show exists? Haven't seen enough to tell you one way or the other. That is not a sufficient answer. I know, answer. but you it's true. Failed, I think sir. I've only seen a. I, found, I only saw a couple episodes. As my as I recall, I found them pretty entertaining. How they would hold up now, I can't tell yeah. you. But I seem to find them music. I love Joe Flaherty anyway. So well, yeah. anything he's in, well, it's it's he's, uh, anything any, SCTV, any of the SCTV people, I, mean, I worship that show. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'll put it out. I'll put it this way: if it were to come out on, if this were to ever show up on DVD, yeah. I mean, I could totally see like Shout Factory or something putting this out. Probably if they ever did, I would be willing to to uh, you know to watch you know to watch them to to check them out, give revisit them, I'd give it a chance. That's it's kind of it's that's yeah. completely bizarre. But I'm okay. going to have to push it out of my head when we're okay. doing this film called so folks, Murder Mansion. Now, folks, we yeah. will not be reviewing yeah. the TV series Maniac Mansion right. starring Joe Flaherty. We will be watching and reviewing and talking in depth about. Mm-hmm. 
Murder Mansion, a.k.a. Maniac Mansion, from 1972, the Spanish-made horror mm-hmm. film. Yep, yep. It's, uh, it is a joy. If you have never seen it, I do recommend that you seek it out. It is a fairly easy one to find. It's shown up on a lot of... Um, um, uh, the, the the Mill Creek packs. I do believe it shows up on some right. of the uh, the the bootleg yeah. packs. The, the the cheap, you know, hundred horror film, fifty horror film packs. Right. I think you could find it in uh, under one of those two titles pretty easily. Well, this will be a first for me. I've not seen it. Oh, I, I have. I, I I caught up with it several years I mean, ago. But ever since we've been doing the we from time to time, every time we do these cast lists when we when yeah. we talk about yeah. other films, we keep mentioning it was kind of like. It's kind of like eyeball and films like that. It seemed like everybody connected with Nashi was in this film too, you know. So, yeah. so uh, that's made me eager to do it for a long time. So, it's a uh, it's it's a fun little movie. It's one that I'm going to be I'm going to enjoy uh, going back to. Uh, mm-hmm. There are uh, a number of uh, familiar faces that will pop into it. Alberto Dalbez, as well as uh, mm-hmm. several others. Mm-hmm. There are number there are a number of actors and actresses that pop up in this movie that we have seen in Ingrid Garbo. Ingrid Garbo. Uh-huh. That's, I haven't seen her since Count Dracula's Great Love. That's uh-huh. awesome. Uh-huh. Andre Reznor. Andre Reznor, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, And, of course, Ida Galley, who I love anyway. I don't think she was in a uh, Nashi film, but she's just awesome anyway. So she's just, uh, she was... Uh, oh, she was in La Dolce Vita. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's been in, she had, she was in a lot of really cool, really cool stuff. Okay, cool, cool. Well, so next time out, folks, join us next month for a Beyond Nashi episode. We will be, uh, oh, wow, she was in Hercules in the Hot World. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, man, yeah, you talk about in, wanting to distract me. That's a way to distract yeah. me. Whipping the Body? Whipping the Body, she was in, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, she was Katya in Whipping the Body. Sure was, yeah. 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 So they know I'm talking about. Yeah, she's oh, great. Oh, yeah, I definitely know what you're talking about. I rewatched uh, uh, Whipping the Body back in December because I hadn't seen it in a long time. Mm-hmm. She was a special uh, special mission lady chaplain, too. Holy crap, we could do an entire podcast on just this woman's film. <laughs> That'd be fine with me. Uh, Re, uh, Rafifi in Amsterdam is a movie that I've been wanting to see. Oh, really? Okay. Sweet Body of Deborah. Cool. We really could. Eagles Over London. Holy shit, I have that on Blu-ray. Oh, do you? Oh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, holy crap. Oh, the Unholy Four, that's a spaghetti western I've been wanting to see, but I haven't seen yet. One called Queens of Evil, which sounds great. Oh, Queens of Evil I've seen. Oh, have you? Oh, that's a good flick. That's oh, The Case flick. of the Scorpion's Tale. She's in that. Oh, good. Oh, Bloodstained Butterfly. Oh, yeah. I think this woman deserves more of our attention. Oh, yeah. Much more of our attention. Knife of Ice. Mm-hmm. Okay, folks. We are lost. Lost. In, oh, Night Child. Okay, we've got to stop looking at this. <laughs> okay, we must now stop looking at the IMDb page of Ida Galley. Uh, yes, that is an actress who uh, <clears throat> has been in a number of films that I have thoroughly enjoyed. Yes, indeed. So, folks, next time, join us. 1972's Murder Mansion. Mm-hmm. I won't call it the other name. Please don't. <laughs> and uh, we will enjoy going through that film. I'm now looking forward to seeing this again. I haven't seen Like I say, it's been, um, <sighs> geez, seven, eight years. Yeah, I can't I'm remember. I'm looking forward to a first viewing. So, All right, jokes. Jokes on us if uh, you don't join us. So, please, send us your thoughts in an email. Or uh, or drop us a line over on the Facebook page. We'll be glad to hear from you. And uh, thank you once again for downloading and listening. Yes, we're always happy to uh, to to hear from you. And we're also glad to know that there are people out there as interested in this stuff as we are, or at least interested enough to listen to us two lunatics babble <laughs> about them. So and may I say happy anniversary, happy fiftieth happy fiftieth anniversary. It's been it's been a fun I know but it's been a fun fun it has been a fun five years I gotta say it's been it really has been it's been uh, both educational and uh, entertaining Mm -hmm. at least on our end we hope that everybody is having uh, fun listening to us we and we it's been wonderful meeting. Our new friends that we've met through this, but we would oh, not yeah. have met if we had not done this bad podcast. Some wonderful no people, and we thank you. We we hope that 
your life has been enriched by meeting us as much as your life, as much as meeting you enriched ours. So, boy, boy, we almost twisted that one. I know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. On the, on that confusing verbal faux pas, yeah. <laughs> we will say good night. Adios. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. Stay warm, folks. Still get high, but yes or no, sir, Sunday will be there.